Welcome to another episode of Fire's Fire. I'm here with my co-host, Brian, um, aka 710 Doctor. We're missing our third amigo, RJ. He is out with a cold right now and, you know, can't really dab, can't really talk. So he's going to be in the audience. So he'll be there all, all, all the time in the chat. So he'll be able to interact with you guys like that. Today, we've got like a super special guest. Probably, I think everybody who found our, our tiny little chat probably knows about this guy. We're super excited to bring in host of the Hashishin Shuragam. Um, just really excited. I, I mean, he doesn't give away a lot about himself in his interviews and make, basically, you know, really focuses on the artists that he's talking to. So without further ado, here he is. Shuragam, welcome. What's up, guys? How are you? Excellent. It's great to meet you, man. I mean, I, I, as I posted on my Instagram, it's like the the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> you like you've literally linked together some of the most uh, you know prominent hash makers across North America over the past. And I got to say, I've learned a lot from your interviews about different methods. And so, you know, I want to hear about your story into you know finding fire. When did you find hash? When did you become obsessed with hash? What led you to creating the show um and you know where do you see it going from here you know that's where i'll start things as the question but let's let's get you to introduce yourself and, and what you do and, and where you've been cool man yeah well i want to appreciate you guys having me on i i apologize about the small delay or a little technical difficulties but uh it was cool hanging out with you guys the other night and getting to know you guys a little bit too and um i you know i find it cool that you guys are in canada and like I say all the time, it's uh, it's a real trip to me that anybody listens to the podcast. So uh, that it kind of has taken a life of its own in a way. It's pretty cool. Um, was not like the intention or anything of that sort. But yeah, about myself, I mean, you know, everybody like my name is Shiragum, uh, as a lot of people know. And yeah, it's weird, man. It's like uh, I... I've loved cannabis probably since I was around 15 or 16 years old. Um, I originally grew up in the States, but I moved down to Guatemala where my mom was from uh, when I was around that age. And then, you know, so I, so I already had kind of some interest in smoking herb uh, back in the, on the East Coast, but I, I just never did. And then once I got down there, I, I got a chance to, to start smoking it and it was cool and interesting because it's a different vibe, you know, it's, um, it's like real natural weed, if you want to call it, it's like real fresh, uh, take us through your first time, man. <laughs> well, you think it's more, more ceremonial, more family involved? Down there? No, not necessarily. I mean, I would say it just in the differences, like, you know, you walk in to, or for example, you walk in to buy some herb and it's just like in this dude's house and on the corner he has like some newspaper down and just like piles of herb you know and it's just but it's not and then so when i moved back up to the states uh around 99 and i just randomly kind of ended up in texas um you started seeing different kinds of herb right because like you see like the more packed or uh the more brick weed that they call it or whatever so it it was interesting kind of like not coming from that and then seeing it that way and then also starting to realize that there was like different grades of of cannabis too and i remember uh i used to i've done all kinds of stuff i love to like dabble <laughs> i think in things but uh, i was doing like an audio engineering program and early on when i moved to texas and when i was here um 
there was a guy who, who was, I knew he was cool or whatever, but we're like, you just both had skipped this piano class or something. And he was sitting there reading high times. And it's like this big picture of like these buds and they're all like fucking triked out. And I'm like, I basically was like, is this even legal? Like to have a publication of this kind or whatever. And he's like, yeah, dude, whatever. You know, it's just like, it's on my Barnes and Noble. So it was just an interesting shift. Um, in what that. was it like in Guatemala though? Like what was the climate like as far as like acceptability? Uh, was it, what was it like then? It wasn't, it's still not uh, very accepted, man. I, I would say that uh, I haven't been back in a while, but it's definitely uh, a culture in which I think kind of alcohol is like the thing, right? And and, and that's okay, but but cannabis, um, oddly enough, I feel like it's kind of tied into also like religion, right? And so it's like... That's why I was asking you originally. I feel like from some of the um, from some of the YouTube documentaries that looked at as far as like evolution of weed, looking at some of these other places where it's been around for so long, it seems much more. I, I would would have thought more more accepted by everybody because it's a it's a cultural thing. I mean, I watched a video on on ayahuasca, yeah, ayahuasca or, or something like that, and it's sure. like the kids are around while they're doing it. It's not like going hide in the closet. And it's about everybody should experience this and really, you know, make it a community thing, um, which I think cannabis is, but yeah. No, no, I agree, man. I, I think part of what attracted me was uh, this communal aspect of it. And even if the community is like a couple people, you know, or a small group of people, I think people who tend to enjoy cannabis uh, at a different, I don't want to say a different level, but just were like real into it, seem to kind of connect and find each other. And so yeah. I think that that's been one of like the coolest parts about working on this project has just been seeing that kind of manifest. And, you know, I, I'm like meeting a lot of people and not only the people who possibly I interviewed, but people that like listen to the podcast and that we've become like friendly or friends with. and. So just developing these relationships with all these different people that are like-minded is very cool. But yeah, for sure in Guatemala, not not a cool thing. Um, it's definitely, you got to keep it on low. <laughs> was it an epiphany your first time? Was it like walking key? Did you get high at all? What, what kind of first time, like I said, it was kind of uneventful. It was literally like, I think we were working on a school project after school. And these guys were just like passing a joint and I was like, all right, cool. Like, I guess I should probably just hit this. And so I did. And I remember like the only thing I remember was just feeling super nervous that when my mom picked me up, she'd know that I was high, but yeah, totally. It wasn't, it wasn't like one of those one time I'm like into it, but I think maybe like second, third time I was like, whoa, this is cool. And then funny enough, I think maybe like five or six times after that, I got really, really stiff. Um, smoking cannabis and like I just I, now knowing I think basically it's like your blood pressure and a dropping type thing uh your sugar levels go down and so long story short I I kind of just persisted because I was like well like these are not good experiences but I know that I, like I feel the potential <laughs> for something good so I'm gonna like go through this and and then once I did then at some point it was just like yeah yeah like this is for me so when you came back to the U.S. 
where you was cannabis like part of your identity? Like did it did it help you socially growing up identify with friends or was it something that you kept sort of reserved? That's a good question, man. I think that people that like I'm friends with and I don't tend to like hang around with a lot of people, let's say. I've never it's never really been my my thing, but uh, usually I'm pretty like open and honest about who I am. And like, usually they probably are into me or at least they're cool with it uh, kind of thing. But outside of that, yeah, I've been usually been pretty reserved. Funny enough, I feel like from working on the Hashishin in the last couple of years, I've become a little more, um, I don't know what it is. Just, I don't know if it's open or more just into being myself about it and just like, being okay with that. Now, when did, when did the transition to to hash start? Because I know for for Jameson and myself, and listening to your your interviews, I feel like for everybody, it was the evolution over the past ten years of like, you know, getting into bubble, getting into you know, shatter, getting into live resin. Now the evolution of full melt to um, you know live rosin to just explosion in my opinion of the of that industry um whereas you know in the past it was always about hitting those snot rockets you know two inch long um extract and you know we didn't really care what it was um last week i was actually listening to your slinger um your slinger interview and he was talking about the glass aspect and that's something we always like to touch on here. That's why I'm bummed RJ's not joining us today. He's he's the major glass head. And uh, he was literally part of, of purchasing those pieces, you know, when they were talking about it and figuring out ways to create those extracts. Um, where were you at those times? Were you, were you getting into extracts or were you like a big flower person until recently it's already evolved? I'll let you finish your dad because that's most important. <laughs> no, no, there's no Russian dabs around here. It's no, it's all good. I, I, like I said, I, I'm, I'm glad we're doing this. Like on a Sunday, we're just chilling out. Usually, I'd be being a dad at this point, so taking dabs at this time is nice. Just hanging out. Same here, brother. Same here. Um, but what are you smoking on? Everybody loves to know what everybody's smoking. Yeah, yeah. So I actually I brought this out because when we talked last time, you guys were talking about, uh, you know, we were talking about like the transitions uh, from genetics and. We were talking about Canada a lot, and you guys were saying like the GMO has made its kind of round up there. Like that's kind of the popular. That's why not this GMO. Uh, it's a cut called the Bums Cut, and it's by my uh, guy who's really become my friend, uh, Chris, or the real cannabis Chris. So it's really nice. It's like this jam uh, kind of texture to it. It's super. It's gorgeous. Yeah, so it's nice. It's funky. It's a little bit different than a lot of the other GMOs. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll get back to the point because otherwise I'll lose, I'll lose it. Right. So answering your questions, hash, I think the first time that I really started smoking hash was, uh, my first, the first trip I took to Amsterdam, uh, I was lucky enough to be able to go in like 2003. Uh, I went out there for about eight days with a friend and a couple of his friends and we smoked a lot of flour. Like we literally, we just like would walk around. 12 or 13 hours a day and hitting up shop after shop after shop. And it's like, you go to the shop, you buy some nugs, you go to the next shop, you roll up the nugs that you bought at the past coffee shop, smoke them, you buy some new nugs, 
and you just keep this. And so we had like this backpack and the front of the backpack had a bunch of hash and the inside of the backpack had a bunch of flour. And so that's really when I started like getting more. That's, that's bubble. Yeah. That's a bubble, right? No, or like I, I think a lot of this. So, so it, Amsterdam is an interesting place, interesting scene in that a lot of their hash seems to be imported, right? So it's imported from all these countries that are known as the quote unquote producing countries. Uh, so we smoked some, or what at least in theory was like some Afghani, we smoked some like Nepalese and we smoked some Moroccan. And so they have a bunch of different types, but it's really more like, it really varies, man. Some of them were like pressed like hash. They had different shades to them. I remember this one specifically now looking back, I really, I can't even tell you, but was this Afghani and it was this like literally like this black chunk of like looking like charcoal. And when you shaped it off, it just like was this black riddle stuff. So I don't, I don't really know, you know, so I didn't really know much back then, but uh, I remember also seeing pictures for like the isolator images, like out and about near the coffee shops. So that was already a thing back then people were, were washing. But I just didn't know, and it was it was too expensive. It was like I don't remember how much it was, but compared to the flour or even the other hash, and so I decided not to try it. But I kind of was like already aware of it. And then fast forward like to 2011 or so, I was hanging out with some friends, and they were passing this bowl around, and I hit it, and I remember kind of just like fading out for like two or three seconds. You know, I just, I must've like kind of, and so I felt like the pipe kind of tilting over in my hand and I immediately bounced back. And so it was funny because they had put some kind of BHO in it. So that was what was around here. And it was like this very dark looking kind of poop soup as people call it type thing. And, but what's funny is when the guy who had brought it, he was like watching me because he knew that I was going to hit this and he knew that I didn't know that there was BHO in it. Nice man. What is it? That is, that is joy. joy. This is fruit joy from a good friend of mine. He's doing a, a hunt on it. So he's separated the phenos out for us. And uh, this guy makes some of the best hash that I've ever come across. And so I said, this is, he's, a, he's from Canada, right? You're saying he's from Canada, yeah. He's from Western Canada. And, and I mean, you know, as a guy who smoked a fair amount of hash, super impressed with the stuff. That's another guy that grow, grows and, and produces some great hash up here. Uh, there's a lot of super talented guys in this market and guys who really care about what they're doing. Nice. Yeah. We were talking about that. And I mean, since we're going to be hanging out for a while, it, I just know that I'll probably have questions for you too, because yeah. <laughs> it just comes natural. Well, like, like what, what, yeah. Uh, so I hit the bowl. Yeah. And the guy just like looks at me. And I, he's, he's like, it's funny, dude, you kind of like got faded for two seconds and you looked up and you're like, what was that? And somebody was like, oh, it was this oil. And then I was like, oh, who can get more of that? Or like, how can I get more of that? Because I definitely was like, wow, this is cool. Like, this is me. This is cool. And so I smoked a little bit of that a few more times. And then it honestly was just like, not really my thing. And then when I really started to get into, I guess what now is called solventless or this umbrella is a friend of mine moved to the Bay Area in like 2015. And he started buying some flour. And so 
I was already like on the Instagram game, kind of checking out what people were doing and this and that and the other. And then, um, yeah, so he basically would like wrap stuff for us. And I went to visit him one time. And I remember one of the first ones that we ever smoked was from this place in San Francisco, uh, Kraft. And Kraft used to do collaborations and they had their own in-house grow. And I think they're still around, but they're now recreational. And uh, funny enough, it was these guys. I don't know if you've heard of them, the Bizarre Bros. I believe one of them just passed away recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, but they they were processing for them, and they were processing some cool strains that Kraft used to run, like the Blueberry OG and uh, some Raspberry something. I don't remember, but that was really our first introduction to. And we were like, "What's this? Like, this is nice and cool, but we weren't dabbing. You know, we were smoking it on bowls, or we were smoking it." Uh, in joints or whatever. Was that melt? That was melt? Yeah, yeah. Looking back, it was for sure. You could definitely, because like, it was really, really nice uh, for the time. I think those guys were, were kind of ahead of their time in, in regards to washing and probably drying as well. Now, were you sprinkling on the heads or were you, like, I remember right around that like 2015-ish, 2016-ish, people, like, I was smoking Shatter at that time and I remember my buddy had like, super expensive stuff that you wouldn't even like you know sell it at the very least or you know maybe take a dab of but he would either finger press it into flags which everybody seems to do now um or they would take a straightener on super low and try and get it but like almost a broken hair straightener so it didn't get as hot and like get it and do it super quick yeah let it like stretch it is that what you guys were doing or were you just sprinkling yeah, no, we were just sprinkling, man. I mean, to be honest, like our our stuff was super low tech. Like we didn't know what we were really doing. Uh, I remember seeing a couple years later, or maybe like a year later, what once we started figuring out what was what, seeing a video of like Nick and T doing that exact same thing that you're talking about, where he was running the hair straightener to make the flags, and then you know have these nice little cuts in the parchment and whatever. But yeah, I'm. I'm super not heady, uh, you know, like we were talking about the other day. And it's funny that RJ is not here. Shout out to him and I hope he's feeling better. But yeah, I don't know anything about glass and stuff. I, I actually just started dabbing, I would say maybe a year and a half, maybe two years ago. And it's some because somebody hooked me up with the rig. <laughs> so it was just kind of and, and now I really like it. Um, but before that, I was just vaporizing. So we transitioned from doing smoking it in bowls and smoking in joints and stuff and figuring out that, okay, well, maybe this stuff is like too expensive to be smoking like this. Um, we started using different vaporization units like the volcano, which we had already used for years with flowers and stuff. And then they had a, a portable unit that I used for quite a, a good amount of time, the mighty. And I mean, for what they are, they're pretty cool. They're not bad. You know, it's something kind of like a puffco, but not really, it's not so much the aesthetics of it, but it functions well and, and you get a nice vapor off it you get the nice taste off it. But melt was not really something that factored in that much for me then, right? Because, and so I think part of making, I guess the, the platform has been this genuine curiosity of like, what is this stuff? How, like, how do they make it? Why do they make it? Why does this work that way? And now it's also kind of evolved into combining this evolution of, 
uh, American concentrate scene in the last, let's say 20 years and kind of the glass scene that's evolved around it and how they have this really interesting interplay amongst each other. And one drives the other, uh, kind of like you were saying about RJ and, and the extracts and, and the rigs and the different things that come along with it, that kind of facilitate the smoking of these things. One pushes the other. It does. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a, and, and it's also like a symbiotic relationship between glass blowers who consume, it seems like a decent amount of cannabis. Uh, you hear that. I, I don't know how true this is or not, but people say like glass blowers smoke a lot of hash, whatever. So I should probably hang out with them too. <laughs> oh, I know. It'd be, I think it'd be very cool to like build those two worlds on your show. I got, I wanted to ask, like, is this your first attempt at anything remotely close to, uh, like a podcast or interview show, or do you have like experience there? Did you have a journal? Like what, what's, what's the story? Yeah, no experience, man. Uh, I'm kind of, to be honest, I view it more as like an art project than anything else. Um, I went to school for fine art and on a focus on photography. So like nothing to do with with audio or anything of that sense. But like I said earlier, I, I like to dabble in things. And I also have a, a strange confidence in that I can do it. Um, not to say that I, I will, but I, I have the belief that I can. <laughs> so I, I thought that it'd be cool. And, uh, I mean, although I didn't necessarily have any practice interviewing people, I really think that having a good interview with a person comes down to having like a really good conversation with someone. And that's something that is part of life. And so I feel like, uh, I've always enjoyed having conversations with people and obviously you have to fine tune that when you have a certain amount of time or certain type of information that you're trying to highlight during that time. But, um, yeah, I, like I told you the other night at, at first, even before conducting these interviews, I would spend a lot of time kind of constructing some of the first ones and trying to figure out how they would go, but at the same time, have them be more organic and not like me just pushing questions or forcing questions, you know, when they, when they don't necessarily fit or whatever. So, um, it's been an interesting thing, man. So yeah, no, no experience. It's been definitely a, a learning lesson. Um, it's funny to go back and listen to some of the earlier ones, you know, even though it's really only been a few years, but, uh, I sound so much more like tight and, um, just, yeah, it's funny. It was just like weird and awkward because it was, but at the same time, I feel like you, only you can hear that though. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm so I don't, I don't hear that. Did you, did you go into this going like, man, if I do really good and, and, and work with the community and do right, you know, I could blow this into like, you know, a real full-time thing, or was this like, this is a passion project and, and where it's taken you is just completely surprised you. Was the, was the, was the goal always, was the vision always there or did it just kind of materialize? So it's a complicated question and I've thought about it a lot because I knew we were talking about it, but outside of that, I've also been kind of like contemplating it to myself. And I think that the idea of creating some kind of 
thing like this was probably around 2015 or so. Um, cause after I started getting into it, I was still like living here and stuff, but I saw that Frenchie Cannoli was going to do this first class, uh, in Los Angeles. And so I went out and it was pretty pricey, but it was like this weird thing where I, there was no real reason for me to go. I wasn't producing, I wasn't doing anything, but I was just like really curious. And I thought that would be interesting to learn from someone who had experienced firsthand a lot of these different cultures and uh, different methodologies. So that was a kind of cool, intriguing um, experience. And I think from there, the idea came to me of like, it would be cool to create something. And then how, how was, how was that class? The class was cool, man. It was interesting. It was like, I just feel like you got to go into these things as odd as it may be, like with no expectations, because I think when you go in with expectations, if they don't meet what happens, you might be disappointed kind of thing, you know, but, um, so, uh, you know, I, I, it was his first class, so he didn't really know how to pace things out that well. Uh, I think that he was kind of highly critical of himself, but. Overall, it was just a lot of lecturing. Um, and then, and then I remember one thing that didn't work for me was I was super hungry and it was a medicated lunch. And so I like chowed down and the rest of the class, I was just like faded, I was like thinking into the couch and I was like, it's, I want to learn, but like, I don't know. So anyways, uh, it was cool though. It, it was fun. It was, he was super passionate. Uh, I know people don't sometimes agree with. Uh, his philosophies or some of the concepts or some of the things he talked about and some other people really agree with them. So it's cool to see, but at the same time, I think the one thing you can't deny about someone like him is just his passion. And I think, uh, seeing someone who's that passionate about resin really kind of like sparked something in me. Um, and I found it very interesting to kind of think of the concept of us as, uh, Westerners looking at cannabis for the flower because as you said i don't think i necessarily answered this but yeah i mean i was like a flower smoker up until that up until this point because that's what was available to me that's what i knew that's what like it was cool like you look at the buds and you look at the color of but in the east i think for the longest time they've understood that really the resin is where the properties that you want are Right. And so they've been able to distinguish the fact that the biomass, as they call it, or the plant material is like a vehicle for the resin. And so the resin is really uh, what becomes important. And so I think that that's kind of really what started piquing my interest and, and started kind of um, me down figuring out what was going on. I don't know if I answered the question or not. But. Well, no, it, like, yeah. no, no, let me let me build on that, though, like. So when you started this project, did you have an understanding of how fragmented and divisive and fractured the real hardcore hash scene was and that how special you were? Because, you know, most guys, they know, most guys who get to a point who, um, are aware of, of, the, of this subculture of ours, they're usually affiliated with some people by then. And I, I, my understanding is you came in 
more of like a Switzerland and kind of were able to say, listen, I've got no affiliations with anybody, so I'm going to go talk to everybody. And I think that's what really made you different than the than anybody else. And, and, and you were able to do something that maybe a lot of us were like, yeah, that would be sick. But we knew we couldn't do just because, well, you know, I'm, I'm like super close with so-and-so. And I could never talk to so-and-so because he would know like I'm close. Like, and it's just so sort I'm of. I was just about to say being involved in it for so long, you have a history and a bias. Of yeah. You've seen maybe even not experienced personally versus yeah. yourself coming in and just being interested in learning it all so from everybody. Was that something that you were like acutely aware of coming in or is that something you realized at a later time? Yeah, that's interesting. I think that, uh, I did it. I, I, I started doing it just for fun, right? Like it was literally, uh, this is a weird thing for me to bring up, to be honest with you. And I, and I mentioned to you this in private last time, but interestingly enough, doing these interviews, I think that I've also like learned things from people. Um, and with the T Bezel episode, he like opens up about some real heavy shit. And, um, I thought that was real inspiring and it's cool to hear like people reach out to him kind of thing. So the point of bringing all this up is the reason I really started the the, the podcast at, at the point that I did is because, uh, in 2017, uh, I was diagnosed with a type of lymphoma. And so there was a couple of years there where like shit was pretty hard. Um, and it was, yeah, life was just kind of up in the air to be honest. And so I think that going through that experience, um, just kind of like propelled me to just do it. Um, and I, I kind of knew Camden from Kua and, um, Brandon from Kushker, um, or Brandon or Garden of Greece. And like, so we, you know, we were kind of like friendly or whatever. And so they were down to do it. And then once I did it with them, like I had those interviews in my laptop for like six or seven months. Um, I just didn't really do anything with them. And then at some point I was like, all right, cool. Well, <laughs> I should probably do something. So yeah, yeah, I just started like figuring out how to piece together a podcast, to be honest with you. I was like, and, and again, this is kind of a ridiculous thing I feel like, but I don't really listen to podcasts. Um, I, I have, I just don't regularly do. And so it's like, I didn't necessarily have a blueprint as to how to do it type thing. Um, and then once I did it and once I put them out there and people, like a few people started listening, a couple hundred the first month or something. I was like, wow, like, this is wild. Like I, like I'd say, like, I literally can't imagine people wanting to listen. And so I was like, well, I guess I should make more. And so then I took uh, a trip and I knocked out a few. And to be honest, uh, I, I always thank him. And I feel like the third episode, which funny enough is uh, not available right now, but the one with the Aussie or the Cuban grower really, I, you know, kind of helped for sure kind of break the podcast through a little bit. And in, in that, I, I think that people really respect him uh, in the industry and for him to be willing to be part of it and be so open and candid. And, and talk for three hours basically with me, uh, went a long way. And then it's one of those things where 
you know, things kind of build upon themselves. It's, you, you can't really, uh, so to answer your question in a convoluted way, there was no real plan. Um, it's just how things a, are. As you, do you think as you've done it, some of those walls have come down? Because I've always thought exactly as you have. Everybody's done this in private and behind closed doors and, and not really talking about it. And so, you know, you're almost, you're coming in though with such a, an inquisitive mind as you always reference and, and really though, wanting to learn rather than wanting to take knowledge, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Cause I mean, you know, I, to be honest with you, like I, I, I like to live in this weird kind of philosophical state, which isn't always practical. Um, but in reality, I don't feel like any of us own anything, you know, like all, all these things that people guard, whether that's tech information, uh, whatever, whatever it is, uh, nobody really owns this stuff. And I mean, I get it like, you know, IP and, and that's how people get paid. And, and, but at the same time, I feel like if we can share with each other as much as we can, you know, that's not to say we have to like divulge everything, uh, because it's understandable having worked on something for a long time and maybe not wanting to share every single kind of trade secret type thing, but if we're able to push things forward, um, for everyone, then I think that's a good thing, right? It's not, it stops being like a personal thing. It becomes more of a overall kind of pushing the scene thing. Do you see that changing to become more like that in, in the hash and, and cannabis scene over the past couple of years? I don't know, man. You know, I think that without getting too negative or whatever, like, I feel like typically the general state of the world is a little negative. Um, especially I think on media it's, it makes it easier to be, but there's also a lot of positivity, uh, as well. So to, to counter that, but I don't know, man, that's, that's a hard question to answer. I'm not sure if things will get, um, and, and by that, I, I'm curious, like, do you mean more open or do you mean more like people being willing to share with each other? Open and collaborative. I think, you know, in the past, it's really been, nobody asked the questions of where did this flower come from? Who grew it? What kind of soil did they use? How long did they let it go? Was it full term? How long have they been growing it? Did they, did they develop that specific cut? Did they hunt it? Where did they hunt it from? Um, you know, how long have they growing? if it's single source or if they're getting it from somebody else because they think that it's better, you know, never, ever did I ask that 10 years ago, you know, if I was getting weed, Jameson and I were talking about this the other day and he, you know, we, we've got a group chat with some friends and, and he goes, guys, I, I want to get some fire weed. I need, I need to know, you know, where's it coming from? Who do I get it from? And how do I get it to me? And, you know, in the past, if I was looking for some fire, like nug when I smoked flour. It would just be like, all right, what's the best that you got from the guy that I know? And he's got two types, you know, the lows or the highs or the, the mids and the highs. And it's like, all right, I'll take the highs, bro. Versus, you know, it didn't matter what it was. I didn't ask him where he got it. I didn't ask him. And he's like, oh, it's, it's lemon haze or it's, or it's this. And I'm like, great, I'll take it. Versus like, 
okay, I want to know what's the turf profile on this? How did they get to that? What was the breeding done to it? And then how did you grow it? And then how did you actually process it? Uh, I, you know, I think I'm an optimist in this because, you know, I've seen it really come from really closed doors to a little bit more open. Um, I'd like to see it a lot more. Uh, my impression is that corporate cannabis makes it become more closed off. Uh, Jameson has more input on that, but yeah, I'd love to know what you think as far as I, I see your show as breaking down those barriers. And that's why I think Jameson called you the Switzerland. <laughs> is that why you called me the Switzerland, Jameson? I, I think that our, our industry is incredibly like, so what, what makes cannabis people different than other people, some cannabis people different than other people is, is the the level of passion and intensity that we have because we end up taking our work home with us and, and those lines become so blurred. And when you're so incredibly passionate about things, you become very opinionated about things. And if you don't remember to keep an open mind and, and know that, you know, nobody knows anything with absolute certainty, you get pretty set in your ways. And then it creates rifts in the community with other community members who have different views than you. And so I think that you have been able to accomplish things that no traditional existing member of the community that say was around for 20 years and then said, you know what, I know enough people and have done enough things that I'm going to, I want to talk to everybody and have everybody sort of respect and listen to me with, without bias in the same way. I think that that would be next to impossible to do. So I think that it's more that, uh, that there aren't, there aren't perceived there's no perceived baggage that is potentially perceived with other relationships in this space. And it's only like a small amount of us who like, like, you know, we shit where we eat, we, we live where we sleep. Our work is our play. Like there's no, like, you know, we, we dip our ink in our, in the company pen, like whatever you want to say, like, you know, we, uh, there's no, to me, there's no blending of, oh, well, I'm done working and, and now I'm not working or, or, you know, and I know that's very true for many of us. And so I think that that's what makes us different and it makes us kind of ferociously passionate. And when somebody can come into our community and sort of claim a space like Switzerland did in, uh, you know, in this example, and don't read too deep into it, just, just take it at base level. Um, I, I think that, you know, you've done something that, you know, has impacted me, that has accelerated my learning, that has made me, uh, more knowledgeable on things, um, and opened my eyes up to things and people that, that I wouldn't have previously like. So, yeah, I think that's why I call you, call, referred to you as Switzerland. Um, but, you know, I think that your show has connected a lot of people and accelerated the speed at which things were learned. I mean, back in the chat room days, you know, you had to go work for that stuff and get accepted and, and into these groups. And, you know, it was a slow growing. And now, I mean, you know, if you want to bang out 14 hours of the hashish in, and you know, that, that'll change your whole view of the industry. You just, you know, let alone 14 hours, six hours for one episode, like it, but what I love about it is that I love that I promote it to everybody, but I only know that like the very realist people will listen to it. And so like 
there was a point in my career where I was like, oh, I'm tapped in. I'm in Future Cannabis Project. I'm listening to the hashish and like, I'm not telling anybody about this stuff because like, this is my juice. Like this is what sets me apart. And then I realized, like, I came to a realization, like, you know, you have to believe this stuff. Like you have to love this stuff to, to, you know, take time out of your personal life and, and sit down and listen to it. And so it kind of changed my whole view where like, listen, if, if you're not turned on yet, I want to turn you on to all this stuff. And like, it's not going to be for most of you, but like, you know, if you're interested in what I'm doing and, and you want to follow me, like, listen to all this stuff, because I'd love to talk more with you about it. Like, I'm just, we, we need to grow our community and, and we need to have more passionate people talking about hash more hours of the day. And I think that any hash make, you know, anyone in the hash community, you'd be like, who's like doing something to move the movement forward. I, I think they would, you'd, you'd be probably at the top of that list. So, you know, I fucking commend you, bro. Well, thank you, dude. Yeah, it's it's a fucking trip, man. Like I I it was never the intention kind of thing, but it's also cool to see uh all the ripples in the world that something that you do kind of can can have uh and that not like in an arrogant way, right? It's just more like it's cool to see something that you work on uh, affect so many people's lives in so many ways. And like I brought up about T-Bezo or, you know, even like, for example, the real cannabis, Chris, the guy who I was smoking on earlier, like he hasn't been smoking for a while and he's had so many people reach out to him and, and be like, look, I, I need a break from this for my mental health as well. And so, yeah, I'm not, I'm definitely not out there promoting anything specific, you know, whether it's like taking a bunch of dabs or something, I think people should do whatever they need to do for themselves. Um, and then on, on the note of, you know, kind of being people have referenced me as like a referee. So, you know, kind of like the Switzerland thing, which is cool because I think that in reality, in the reality, I'm just a consumer, man. You know, I've always been a consumer. I'm, I'm a fan uh, of the people that are doing these things. And I think that because the project was born out of just kind of passion and, and just wanting to do something fun at that moment in my life um and and the energy that it came with and it has kind of opened the doors uh, in a lot of senses for other people to be open and willing to to have these discussions with me as well and people who might otherwise not be able to sit down with somebody for two or three hours to talk about stuff so you know when i do talk to them i do really try to make it a focused conversation um i work a good amount on figuring out how to like i told you the other night almost like tailor make these interviews for these people talk about things that are strong points of theirs but also intermingle some things that may be happening currently in the house world or do you like that do you like to involve the person you're interviewing in your thought process as you're creating that, or is that something completely unique to you? And then you kind of bring it to the interview. I think I kind of got a little dab out. Repeat that for me. So when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're crafting these interviews, cause I, I know, you know, when we talked, you said, you know, I put a lot of time into these interviews and I'm yeah. you know, thinking on how I want to shape them and, and move through them. Is that a solo project with you or is that a, a collaborative project where you, you're, you're talking with the person you're planning on interviewing saying, I want to take it in this direction here. What do you think about that? 
Is it a two-man show where it's a back-and-forth collaboration, or is it you sort of planning your way through the interview, doing the research on your own? It changes, man. I mean, it it kind of varies. Uh, it really comes down to that person, the situation. You know, for example, one of the things that has changed is when I began doing these, they were all in person, right? So episode one through... I'm pretty bad at remembering at this point, which is which, but let's say like through 14, I believe through maybe Roz and Ryan from Olio, um, they're all in person. Right. And so that episode was this kind of weird trip where it was March of 2020, like Corona was really starting to pop off and I still decided to take the trip. Um, and after that I went online and with the first one. I did with, uh, Andrea or his name on Instagram, slight 23, who's now based out of Barcelona. And so I thought it'd be cool. I was like, you know, I, I actually had some discussions with people who I respect and was wondering like what they thought about moving the platform to doing digital interviews while Corona was happening. And, you know, people were pretty supportive, so I felt like I should continue it. And so I bring that up because the process changed in that when I was doing them in person. It was all just preparation up front on my end and then coming in basically kind of blind and then meeting people in person and just being able to be ready to go, you know, so you got to have your stuff ready to go and get the ground running type thing. And then when they went online, especially with uh, slight, it was an interesting process because he was a little apprehensive because of his English. Uh, and you know, I used to joke around with him. It's like, he's Italian. So he speaks Italian and he lives in Spain now. So he speaks Spanish and now he speaks English pretty well, if you ask me. And so I was like, dude, most of us can't barely even speak one language. Like, well, you know, so, but yeah, he wanted to kind of talk it out. So we talked it out for like a month. We'd meet up like every Sunday and chat for a while. And this, and so it became a very different process. So now it's a combination, man. It just, it varies. Sometimes I'll talk to people like the, one of the newest dynamics is I, I spoke to the people ahead of time in some cases and then went and did it in person. So it's almost like a combo of both. So it just, it just depends to be honest. And now, uh, I don't know. If what do you prefer? <laughs> Go ahead. What do you prefer? I don't prefer anything. I prefer as long as I'm, I feel like. I did that person justice and, and did a good job and listeners are going to not only enjoy it, but also find some value to it in some sense, then I'm cool with it. You know, it's more about the result than the process for me. It's interesting. I didn't even realize that you had done some of them in person because for me, it just seemed like it would yeah all all audio based like from distance but um so in person do you find you guys dab more it depends who it is man you know it it really comes down to like because some people it's interesting uh maybe they they dab a lot right but they don't want to dab during an interview that much or um or at all or then there's other people who love to dab a lot so it just depends. Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily being together or apart would make a difference. I think we're both 
taking dabs either way. <laughs> I, I know I am. It's part, it's part of everyday life, right? Huh? It's part of everyday life. It is, it is. And I mean, you know, it was funny because somebody just told me this, which actually made me laugh quite a bit. Um, he listened to his own interview recently and he was like, hey, and he was, you know, pleased with the interview, but he also made me uh, think about something and he's like, you know, that you, that you were smoking this amount of rosin while you were interviewing me is kind of like a talent of his own was kind of his, his joke to me because he's like, you know, you remembered a lot of the stuff about our conversations during the week. And, um, and that interview, funny enough, I didn't have any notes or anything. It was just like, we went off natural. Yeah. We went off just gunslinging for two hours and yeah, so the, yeah, it's interesting, man. It's interesting to see the process change. And, and obviously, uh, it's you, I feel like you grow, but at the same time, it's really important to always strive to do better and not become complacent. I feel like, um, that was the other thing I wanted to mention. I feel like your philosophy in life, as you said, you like to be philosoph philosophical, but you've also got like, uh, a soothing voice <laughs> like bro it's it's crazy you like your voice like i'd hear it and i'm like yo this dude's a friend this dude's chill like if i met you in public you know like I'm trying to figure out if someone smokes like you know you can hang out with them you could like sit at their table and like shoot the shit or like you know pass the joint to them and you know not them be it whatever right I'd hear your voice and I'm like, I know this dude already. Like even on the first interview. And I don't know if it's like just your personality that you dab hard and, 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 you know, everybody that dabs hard, you always have that like connection. I don't know. I, you could feel it. You walk into a room and if there's like dabbers or like strippers, like, you know, right. You all look at each other different. And, uh, it, it's funny. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that though, but yeah, you've got a, you've got a friendly, like, I know that voice and real soothing, man. I gotta say. Yeah. It, thanks. Dude. It's, it's a funny, weird thing because it's like one of those things where, you know, uh, outside of doing something, putting out audio, I've never really isolated my voice per se. And so. Yeah, it, it is kind of funny and to hear people be like, oh, you know, the voice definitely works. Uh, I think people also kind of find it oddly relatable, maybe is kind of what you're saying. I, I, you know, it, it, it's this strange dynamic where it's just one of those things that you could never uh, weigh in a factor like that. Like, oh, I'm going to make a podcast because I think my voice is super smoothing or smoothing. smoothing. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. no, though just the voice because it's i got yeah it's 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 you yourself right like you could put a voice on it yeah yeah that's cool it's funny because i i uh i was hanging out with rockums who shout out i see him in the chat here um he was telling me he knows stuff about audio and he was telling me like it's not necessarily only about how low your voice is or whatever but it's also about the different tones that your voice can get and it's just I was looking into it and it's just all this based on your voice vocals and it's, it's actually pretty interesting, but that's besides the point. People tell me I get too excited. I'll let Jameson go on, sir. I wanted to ask about some cool, um, 
you've been, you've been able to be exposed to some very cool experiences through, you know, the Hashishim and, and one of the more recent ones was the Legends of Hatch dinner. And I wanted to, you know, everybody's su- I'm sure super interested in, you know, hearing your take on it and kind of break down of, you know, how it went down and how, how everything was. So I'd love to hear that. Yeah, sure, dude. Uh, yeah. So I want to thank again, Chris or the real cannabis, Chris, because this basically was a like dinner only invite for hash makers. And, uh, did we lose Jameson? No, there he is. Sorry. I'm here. No, no, you're good. I just, I wanted to make sure you're back. Um, so yeah, we went and there was like, uh, it was down, it was in LA and there was a lot of, I feel like kind of intrigue around the event. Uh, I, I knew quite a few people who had been invited and kind of knew a little bit of what the event uh, was like and some of the things that they were asking for from the makers. And so I just went into it with a lot of intrigue, to be honest with you. And overall it was a cool night. Um, I felt like the vibes were pretty chill. They had, it was like a kind of low light environment. They had this kind of middle Eastern thing going on to it, which I thought was kind of a little funny. I don't mean to be nitpicky, but, uh, you know, it was like this Afghani inspired night, but then they were like touting Lebanese food, which obviously they're like two different cultures. So <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what the deal was with that, but it was cool. They had like the, someone didn't do the full research. Oh, what'd you say? Someone didn't do the full research. Yeah, there might be something behind that, but I, I thought that it was kind of a funny, a funny thing. And, and probably I'm a little more sensitive to it because, uh, my dad's Iranian and you know, all, all those countries like sometimes get thrown in together and oh yeah, they don't necessarily uh, dig that. But, um, <laughs> so anyways, uh, but it was cool, man. I met some cool people. I met like a lot of like well-known hash makers that I hadn't met before. Funny enough, I knew a decent amount of people. Um, the way they set it up was interesting, you know, not to dive too much into it, but the original legends of hash from my little understanding, which is literally just like through here in bubble man, uh, and other people talk about it, but it was just this kind of underground event thrown by uh skunk man, Sam. And I think Marcus or bubble man got kind of maybe involved in it, or he was also doing it with him. And I don't know how people were getting invited. I guess just if you were in the know or if they knew of you and you got to bring hash kind of to the secret event and people would bring a jar of hash and whoever's jar got smoked first that night won this competition, but it was like this weird unofficial winning. And so, uh, basically the way they tried to emulate that here was they had that hash makers break down their samples into half grams and quarter grams. And then they were giving a, a kit with their initial entries minus like their own. So for example, Chris, who I was with received his kit with everybody's entries minus his own, since he already kind of knew it. And then, uh, you'd get to try them, you and your guests. So like the guests wouldn't get a box, but you would share and then whatever you liked or whatever you wanted to keep trying or whatever, you literally would just go up to this weird, like hash bar. It, it legit felt like being like a celebrity or something, right? It's like you walk up and you're just like, yeah, let me get, you know, 
the strikeadelics and this whatever and whatever was in the kit that you liked, you could just get it and you could get as much of it as you wanted. <laughs> and so sounds like a dream. Yeah, it, it kind of pretty much was, man. It was it was definitely uh, like Jamerson said that the the hashishian thing has definitely granted me some experiences that I would have never even conceived of or. I'm still tripped out by it. So, so it was cool. Um, what are yeah, you know, more specific questions about it, but what, what was, what are some of those other experiences through the Hashishi that kind of like that stand out to you that I want to touch on? I mean, I think one of the memorable ones for me was, uh, attending the ego clash back in 2019, I guess that was, um, because I just, I, it was the same year that I interviewed Brandon from third gen. And yeah, I would, you know, again, I'm just like here kind of doing my own thing. I just go out and like talk to people and, and put these interviews out. So I didn't, I never like see myself as being part of anything, you know, uh, which is kind of what you talked about, which in a weird way I feel kind of works as well. Um, but it, yeah, oddly enough, it, that was the first time that I felt like, wow, like, this is really weird that I'm at this event and like that I got invited to this thing, but that's really cool too. And I got to meet a lot of people from there. And, um, I would say that was definitely one of the ones that stands out for me. And for those people who don't know, why don't you break, like give a synopsis of what ego clash is. So the ego clash is basically, uh, invite only gathering of some of the best hash makers definitely in North America. Um, I don't know if there's been international guests at the North American one, but yeah, it's like a lot of the big, big names or people that have been doing this a long time. Um, or, and then there's also people that have been doing this a long time that don't have brands and don't have reputations in that sense, but they're there because within the community, they're known as being excellent cultivators and, uh, hash makers or whatever it is that, that they, they do. And so in essence, the competition was broken down to four categories, uh, rosin hash or water hash BHO, which this year has been discontinued and the flower category. And so basically hash makers bring their samples and it's not that much. I don't remember exactly how much it was last year, but I believe this year it's even less, which is cool. You know, it's somewhere like in the eight gram neighborhood or something. And then you bring your jar and people smoke out of it. Uh, the people that are in your category. So for example, if you're competing with melt or water hash, you sit at the, in the water hash section and everybody competed in that section, you get to take a dab or two or whatever you want from their jar and in essence, you judge and you basically, there's a collective score. And then this year, I think they're going to actually change it to digital kind of thing. Um, so I don't know how that will go, but yeah, basically that's the deal, man. Everybody smells everybody's stuff. In Rosin, there was like 38 entries last time. So that means you're taking 38 dabs and, you know, somehow in 38 dabs, you're supposed to figure out which one is the best, which is a tall task. Um, but it's a fun event. I, I think we'll do, you do you take notes or do you do it all by, by memory? I think you can take notes. So, and again, you can only, you're only taking daps if you're basically like a, a producer. So I was there just more of like, as an observer, um, 
but yeah, those, those guys have to go hard for a long time for hours and hours and just keep dabbing. And then, you know, whoever's with them, their plus one has to kind of help them get them water or whatever it is that they need food or something in that time. And then at the end, uh, it's cool because there's gathering in this cave and the cave it's really cool, although it was super smoky and hard to kind of breathe, but it's cool because like all these people from all these different pockets, like hash and rosin and flour, they're all in there and they announce the winners there and stuff. So it's cool. I think one of the coolest things I like about the Ego Clash one is that they raise the, a lots of toys for kids in their local scene. So like when you show up, you have to bring toys, you know? So I think that's one of the cool aspects of it. And then I think another of the cool aspects of it really is that basically it gives a chance for somebody who may not have a name or may not have like a big following or whatever, who is basically killing it and has an opportunity to put up eight grams or their best and compete versus these really kind of like bigger name guys or whatever. And, uh, I think there's been some people that have come up from there. I mean, for example, heads that roll. They won the rosin category, I believe, like two years in a row. And so, I mean, I don't know, you know, but it seems like from that experience is their brand definitely uh, took a leap and stuff. So that's cool to see. Was the uh, rosin and ash judged separately at Legends? No, they were judged together. Um, yeah, that was an interesting thing. I, I, I discussed that with a decent amount of people. I don't know exactly how I feel about that still. I believe, well, like I told you last time that the first time legends did that was the last legends they did in Amsterdam. And, um, I think Rosin had won like the guys from, they're also Italian in, in Spain, the Terps army guys. I think they, they entered some Rosin and won, and it was a little bit of a, I mean, you know, depends who you ask, I guess, kind of thing, but it was a little controversial as to like, well, I mean. For example, with hash, the main thing is one of the things you're judging is the melt, right? One of the things that you're judging is to see how little residue this, these cuticles are leaving behind because that's part of the, um, you know, part of it. And when you're competing and putting that in comparison to, in essence, oil, right? Just pure oil. Um, that's a hard thing, right? So it's like, well, I think one of the things that needs to be better defined in these competitions and I, you know, who am I to say, but from the, from what I've seen is there needs to be a better definition as to what it is that you're judging. Like, are you judging flavor? Are you judging smell in the case of melt? Are you judging how melty it is? Are you like, because it can't be about the effect, right? Because if you're even taking 10 dabs, it's really hard to know what's what at some yeah. point. And so unless you have an extended amount of time to go through these samples, I think what you need to figure out as a judger is what it is that you're judging kind of thing. And, and if you're trying to judge. So let's let's go into that further because I know people. Look. Well, that's the definition. This is then uh, this is the definition of fire is fire. You yeah, know, like what like, is fire? 
what we what people want to talk about here and what people want to know from guys, especially you, is as a guy who's been a part of some of the most exclusive rosin and hash judging competitions, what is in your mind is the right way to do it? And let's break it down by if we're judging it by X, we would go I'd I'd like to see a competition run Y. And if we're judging it by A, I'd like to see a competition run B. Like I I I'm really interested in what works well. Yeah, that's interesting. So first I want to clarify that I've never been a judge. I've only like seen competitions. Um, I mean, as an outside opinions. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. I, I'm just saying as you're, yeah, opinion, so, I, so I would say, look, I, look here, here are the hurdles for me is, uh, I guess let's uh, take it step by step. I would say the categories are important, right? And so. I feel like something, and again, this is not necessarily just about the ego clash and legends. And I'm just saying overall, like something that works at ego clash is that they separate the different types, right? So rosin goes against rosin and hash goes against hash, right? So that I feel gives you like a baseline to where with rosin, okay, you know that it's just going to melt, right? It's just oil, but with the hash then you have for example the meltiness of it and so i think it depends on what it is that you're judging right and once you know what you're judging you know finding ways to to make it a more equal process i think is difficult i i honestly think that one of the ways which might not be the most practical way is for judges to have more time with these materials you know i, I think that like I said, maybe practically it doesn't work, but I think that over time you're able to discern what you like better or what smokes better, you know, it, so taking a bunch of dabs is cool, but that's, like I said, I feel like it becomes more about flavor to me. And this is a weird thing that I've been thinking about lately is being fortunate enough to try a decent amount of resin and rosin over the last few years. I think one of the things that really stands out to me is how unique something is. Uh, and unique doesn't necessarily always do well, like in the market, I would say, because unique isn't always necessarily something that's like in your face. But I think that when you find something that's different than a lot of stuff that's already out there at that time, that really makes for something that stands out. You know, so for me in judging, that would be one of the things if I ever were to judge, it would be like, how unique is that string? Which again, that's also subjective because it depends on what varieties you've had as, as a judge or whatever, but. Do you, uh, feel, do you feel like long flowering, longer flowering equatorials, um, have advantages that most minor cannabinoids or terpene profiles that led to like cutting through a high, like I know you know, talking to a lot of guys on the scene, they, they, they would say that the reasons certain cultivars won certain competitions was those competitions were held where, you know, it was a judge's room and everybody was consuming strain after strain, cultivar after cultivar. And, um, and then, you know, this, this equatorial lemon haze or whatever it was, was able to really 
slice through that sort of debilitating uh, high that was caused by all these other, you know, uh, similar polyhybrids and, and sort of announce a different effect and, and that's why it won. Do you think that that's what's contributing to it or do you think that has nothing to do with it and it's just know that it's a unique turf profile that, that is making that distinguish? I mean, you know, it depends kind of how you look at it. I would say that maybe you could say that that is unique because it is cutting through. And so I think that that's part of it is it's something that really just like shines. And, um, you know, it's interesting, for example, one of the strains that I've really liked, and, and I think in hash in particular, it's even more of an interesting topic in the sense that I feel in flower, there's so many varieties and in hash, although it's increasing, I feel like the range is still pretty short or small, uh, in how far it could possibly get with the types of profiles that they'll be able to breed into like becoming quote unquote washers. Right. And so I feel like in a hash competition, if you were to get something that really cuts through, for example, like you said, uh, let's take it, for example, something kind of lemony, um, you know, one of my favorite hashes is this OG ghost train haze. And I believe, uh, you know, that cut came from gold organics and I, funny enough, I interviewed him. So he'll be, his interview will be out in January of next year. But, um, we talk a little bit about that and we talk about the fact that it wasn't the type of plant that you would ever expect to make good hash, but it did. Right. And somehow, some way it stayed alive. What do you, what do you mean by that? Like morphologically, the glands, like I would, yeah, yeah. So I would say all those things. So for example, uh, I think that OG ghost train haze, I'm not even going to get into the genetics cause I, I honestly, I haven't looked too much into them, but basically it has like some haze characteristics in it and hazes or equatorial strains, like you said, don't typically seem to do well in the ice water extraction process. Those glands are not the type of glands that do well or are appropriate. I mean, I don't know if that's the right terminology or not, but they just either dissolve in the water or they're not really responsive to coming off the stalks in the water or whatever that may be. So the type of growth that that plant was showing and the type of terpene profile that that plant was showing, <laughs> you got some big flames going there, bro is was uh lending it to him to believe that it was not going to do well um and this is kind of beside the point but furthermore he was about to get rid of it and until the first like labs came into the washington area he ended up testing it and and it came come back like at 24 percent thc or something which at the time was very high and so he ended up deciding to keep it and then they were washing all kinds of stuff mostly trim and they saw that that washed so my point of bringing all this up is the fact that he won a lot of awards with the people he was working with at that time. And a lot of those awards were with that OG ghost train haze, which that cut still survives through people. And so I've had the cool opportunity to actually try that cut from uh, the Hawaiian homies, uh, Mother Rock Botanicals and Pressing for Show, who's been on the show. They grow that out. And in that Hawaiian sun, it's like spectacular. And so 
the point is he mentioned that that profile did well in competition for them because it was so different than a lot of the other profiles that they were competing against. Because typically profiles like that don't wash well because of some of the reasons that we talked about earlier. So because that one happened to, like the trichome structure for that one came from whatever the OG part of it was and actually washed, even though those don't wash that well either. So I don't know exactly how that worked out, but genetically it did. And I think that standout part of it is what helped win it competition. So to some degree, I feel like the uniqueness is part of that standout characteristic. So from my standpoint, I'm, I'm all about science. I'm all about research side of it. It's like, you got to test everything. Like you got to test every strain, even if it kind of those, those heads might not look ideal that, you know, someone that gave you, you know, those seeds or whatever, or told you about it, it might not as you thought, depending on the environment or depending on, um, you know, how that's grown out. Sometimes you can be surprised and, you know, think about, you know, families that have just, uh, you know, typically short kids and everything. And randomly there's a super tall kid and they're, they're genetically blessed and they can, you know, jump really high and all of a sudden they're an amazing athlete and everybody else in the family may be like, you know, real lazy and but the kid presents as tall, right? What's interesting about this is it's, it's like a gland that, you know, a hash guy would look at and be like, that's not going to mechanically separate properly. But when they were a baby, you never knew. Yeah. 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 I I get what you're saying, but like, to me, that's super interesting and kind of, you know, would be interested to know in the chat if anybody else has that, has had that experience. Because I know I've been sort of taught the ways and shown the ways and then kind of thought that was it. So that's pretty interesting to, to, to think that, you know, stuff that might not look or act like it would separate well would. And I mean, honestly, I think to be, to be truly honest with you, that's kind of becoming the name of the game in the solventless world where doing that work to find those expressions that you may not ever expect is like what's making you stand out. Like that's the thing that, okay, well, this guy has these flavors or these cuts or whatever that nobody else kind of has type thing. Right. And so everybody's, but at the same time, I think one of the things that I've become more aware of in talking to a lot of people who do this is that in an ideal world, it's great, but it also is arduous, expensive, and not practical to constantly pheno hunt. No, no. first year, it's got to be separated out. I mean, I just getting ready for this interview, I listened to the uh, of Select interview one of the most recent ones and I, I thought that was super eye-opening like you know how involved that team is and and you know not something that as somebody who you know is a part of this industry but that didn't really look deeply into the company didn't know and I thought that was really cool like you know out there taking cultivars out and working with farmers and and you know how involved they are and, and the reefer trucks and you know I thought that was a really cool story so like I I personally I'm a genetics nut, so I, I understand how important it is, but I don't think that you have time to be pheno hunting at a commercial facility in any setting. 
you know, you need to leave fetal hunting to a fetal hunting facility. Uh, I was going to say you're interviewed the 710 guys, the yeah. 10 lab guys. Yeah. You know, uh, they talked about that a little bit and how they have to really balance between not, you know, making money to sustain the company, but also trying to find those two percenters that are interesting that you just can't get rid of. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough balance, man. And I mean, you know, it's interesting to look at it from, and again, I think maybe this goes back to what you were talking about a little earlier in the different ways. I, I hope to cover a range of people, you know, in a range of situations and a range of levels of experience and really kind of open up the conversation versus trying to guide it a certain way. You know, I'm just like there to ask questions and then people can kind of make their own conclusions or, or figure out. Cause I mean, I, again, I, I feel like hopefully that is pushing people to maybe like you said about yourself, like you learn some things about it and, or, and you, it's made you kind of like reconsider some things or think about things maybe in a different light and likewise for me. And I mean, so like, I'm. I'm basically just part of the gang, right? So where I'm learning too and I'm, but the difference is I'm not doing it. And so I feel like that's another strange aspect that, that kind of works where I don't have the desire to like, I do. I, it's not like a practice. I can't, it's not a practical thing in my life right now. So no. And I think that in an interesting way, it kind of also keeps me from developing any kind of practices myself yeah. so it's a never ending possibilities you know uh, is just asking people maybe weird things that doesn't make sense to somebody who's doing the process but maybe it helps open the conversation up a little more so is that something like in your future like are you like oh man like i'm not set up for it now but one day like i'm gonna get a tent and i'm gonna you know get a get a wash bin and i'm gonna you know, I'm going to make some hash or is it like, are you just really content? Sorry, my dog's drinking water in the background. Are you just really right. content? Um, you know, being the commentator, being the referee, like, you know, like kind of playing the, the, the role you've assumed, like, is it something where you feel the need to, to do the thing that you talk about, or are you very happy being the consumer and, and, and being the, the, the reporter and referee? You know, before you answer that, I also want to ask, so if there was also more courses by other leading people now, because you know, how things have evolved, would you attend those courses to learn the same way you did for Frenchies, uh, as far as like, and then, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll take that question first, I guess, cause it's a little, I think easier and more straightforward to answer. Uh, I would, I, I'm, I'm always, I, I consider myself like a student just in general of, of everything. Like I, I, I honestly, I'm like, I don't know anything. So, you know, I'm always open to seeing what's up and seeing what's how people do things, how people approach things. And I think there's something to learn from those things as well. And I mean, uh, you know, this is not like to plug this thing or not, but I, funny enough, Last year, uh, we did this event with Simply Adam and we kind of like made this thing called coffee and donuts and it ended up being this live educational thing and we're going to do another one. Uh, so in some weird way, I've kind of also become involved now in, <laughs> in doing 
in putting together a course that I hope that people can also take a lot from. And again, I come in, uh, in a weird role where I'm more like kind of helping manage and connect and keep people kind of together and find things that we need. Uh, but Adam is really doing more of the instruction. And again, it's one of those things where like, if I had not attended all these other events, I've attended Ken Wall's event in Oklahoma, I've attended Frenchie's event a couple of times. Um, and so I wouldn't have had any references to learn and figure out like, what the place for? When you attend those events, do people know who you are? Like, are people like, holy shit? Or, or like, how, how does that work? How is that? <laughs> so it's weird, man. I mean, like, I don't, for me, it's so strange to even think that anybody would think anything of me. Um, but at, like during the Frenchie stuff, I, I, I mean, I wasn't doing any kind of podcast stuff. So I was just like a, another person there. And then by the Ken Wall interview, cause I was there to interview him but I went to the class to see what it was like the day before. And it's funny because since it's an audio thing, people don't really know what I look like, which is great. But, um, I asked a question during the class, right? And then this guy came up to me after the class and was like, Hey dude, like, are you the guy who does this as And I was like, yeah, you know? And he's like, I fucking knew it. He's like, I knew the voice or whatever. So that was the first time that I had anything like that happen. And I was just really kind of baffled by it, but it was cool because yeah, but no, no, people never are like, I, I don't really go out much to be honest. So, but when I do meet people, it is this funny thing. Like at legends, it was cool. where like, you know, it's like, oh, Hey, I'm sure I'll go motor. And then people will be like, oh, we're like what brand or what thing you're from. And I'm like, oh, I do the Hashishan podcast. And then like, oh shit, like, cool. Like, so it's this funny thing where, you know, it, your, your brand or what you do in a way, uh, becomes very important in people's eyes, but yeah, <laughs> I'm just the same old dude, man. How'd you come up with the idea for the name for Hashishan? So that came from the Frenchie class, man, because he kept using this term that a Hashishan a hashishin, a hashishin, which is like, you know, somebody who makes hash or whatever. And I was like, I don't know why it just started ringing around in my head. And I was like, it'd be cool if there was something called the hashish in, you know, and it was sort of more a uh, play on words from that. So that's where the name came from. And, um, so that came kind of easy, thankfully. All right. So back to my question. So when, well. Thank you for keeping me on track. I'm bad. Okay, no worries, man. I'm, that's what I'm here for. So while we're, while you're building this show, doing your research, talking about hash, learning more about hash, talking with like pretty much like, not pretty much the industry thought leaders of our industry, of, of our little niche industry. Um, are you like looking around your house for a place to put a four by four or like trying to figure out if like. It gets cold enough in the winter where you're at to like run a wash, like earth or, or are you completely comfortable being, being the, the observer reporter and, and referee, like we talked about earlier. So I feel like at this point in my life, so I've had the itch to do that for a really long time, you know, um, up until a few years ago, I was even trying to look at the possibilities of like moving out West and 
and just doing something, um, which was cool because my wife was supportive of it and stuff. But then, like I mentioned, you know, last few years have been pretty, pretty crazy. And so things, things changed. Um, so I feel like in a weird way right now, I'm having a lot of fun doing this. And that's one of the primary motivations and continue doing this is just like, just enjoying my time, man, to be honest with you. And I think that I guess if I had to put it that way, I'm, I'm content now, but if I had, let me just put it this way. If things were to change and tomorrow I had the opportunity to legally throw up four plants or six plants or eight plants or whatever, uh, they, I would sprout these things tomorrow. Right. So like I would super, super be into it probably too, a little too obsessively kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, so it's one of those things where like, I'm cool where I'm at and, uh, just like kind of things take their course. And if that opportunity ever arises, then I'd be super down. And it just like this funny, weird thing where I have, uh, a crazy unlimited amount of resources that I can tap into, um, to help me in that process if I ever chose to. So I was going to say, so what you have to do is maybe move up to Canada because you're kind of describing <laughs> how things change when it became illegal here. That's why I have this here. And then, oh, you also got our side, but Sorry, go ahead, Jameson. I think you've got more questions. But yeah, you were describing moving to Canada. To, uh, just, I was just going to say, maybe Vancouver. I don't know that, you know, or BC. BC is beautiful, dude. It's just so expensive, man. It's very expensive. It's, well, I mean, Vancouver is very, uh, it's all very expensive. You'd have to, you'd have to be pretty remote. So until somehow, you know, Cannabispedia makes its break and we make some big bucks. I don't think I'm going to be able to. <laughs> so, so being, you know, having the Patreon and running that community, that's very much a community on there. Are you seeing uh, the maturity in sol specifically solventless markets sort of all coming to the same level in states across the US or, and, and globally, or are you, are you, is it very apparent? Let's just focus on the States right now. Like, oh, these guys are three to five years behind these guys who are two years in front of these guys. And these guys are kind of the gold standard or is everybody kind of just catching up because of access to information? You know, uh, that's an interesting question. I think that if you want to learn the information is out there regardless of where you are. Obviously that requires you having access to this information, right? But if you do, the information is there. I mean, so it really comes down to, I feel like your desire and your drive at this point. I think that if you want to quote unquote level up fast, and by that, I just mean kind of figuring out what kind of genetics you need to be working with, what type of environments or what type of growing mediums you want to use, how to, you know, do that well, and then also learn how to properly basically prepare your material for processing and all these things that go into it outside of the actual hash making, um, you can, you know, but it's one of those things where 
I feel like it really, the thing comes down to like, you talked about earlier, your, your passion, you know, how passionate are you for doing something like this? And I mean, so for example, you know, relating it to the Patreon thing, the Patreon has been a, a wild experience because again, the first year that, uh, I, we did the podcast, uh, like I said, I was traveling to do all these interviews and at that point there, it was like, it, it was like self-funded basically, you know, we were paying for these trips and this and that and the other. And so we got to a point where it was almost like a year in and, um, I was having like a awesome time and I just, I was kind of like in disbelief. And so I created this Patreon because at some point I just needed somehow to like be able to fund this thing more. And, uh, yeah, again, one of those weird things where I never thought anything of it. I never really imagined many people would join it. Um, I always joke around that. So like the, the highest tier or whatever is like the hundred dollars a month, uh, which is a lot, you know? And so I, I never thought anybody would join this thing. And so one of the things that I had put on there was like, one of the perks, quote unquote, is like hang out with a hash maker and, and myself for like one hour plus or so a month, you know? And my wife is like, how are you going to do that? You know? And I was like, I don't know. Like I, somehow, you know, basically the same way I've done the podcast, like I'll, I'll figure it out. And then literally the first day a guy signed up for like the hundred dollar tier. And I was just like super fucking blown away, man. And like, he's still, he's still there, which is great. Shout out to Kevin lifted and Dina because that dude has been like super supportive and there's been so many other people that have been supportive. Uh, including yourself, dude. So I, you know, I, I want to thank you for that as well. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, my point of bringing that up is that like, for example, those hash maker hangouts, I think they're real valuable things. It's not something that I advertise. It's not something I, people joke with me, a few people that like, it's kind of under advertised, but it's just, I really, I want to give back in what I can to people. So like, if you want to level up and you have a hundred bucks a month and that gets you in to talk two hours with somebody who I've interviewed or something like that. And I mean, even if just to ask questions or maybe to later have that person, uh, be willing to like direct message you back or whatever building relationships, those things are super important, man. You know, so like relationships are very, very important in, in any world or any industry and, and also your reputation, you know, you need to be integral and you need to do things proper and uh and i think that goes a long way because people love to talk you know and then that's just a general thing that's not like in a cannabis only specific thing and so people love to shoot things out there so if you've done something that maybe you shouldn't have done kind of thing or whatever people will find out about that stuff so uh i don't know why i went into that tangent but no man that's fair and i i resonate with everything that you said there I'm going to pull you into like, Engine. I'm going to pull you into even like more divisive, sketchy waters here. And I'm going to ask you about your opinions on salt versus organically grown resin. And, you know, your experience as a guy who has, you know, smoked and, 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 you know, picked it with a lot of these guys and, you know, absorbed a lot of resin into your lungs. So you're, you're doing the charogan to me. You're asking me the salt versus the, 
Yeah, I can't wait to hear this because I asked Jameson. I asked Jameson this a few weeks ago too. I'm just muting myself right now. I think big that. Look, man. I mean, the short answer is, I agree with people that say that I think that you can grow great resin in any medium. I think again, it comes down to how passionate that cultivator is um so i in short i would say that's like maybe kind of a cop-out answer but i I would say that's the truth i i honestly think that resin can be really great indoor from outdoor from salts from organics from living soils like but I would say if I had a preference personally, and this is not a knock on any other mediums, is I, I've been really enjoying uh, sun-grown resin. Um, it seems to be a little more flavorful at times. You know, it, it sometimes may have a tinge more of color to it, which, you know, that's a whole other discussion of its own. I don't necessarily think that the color of resin is a big indicator of its quality. Um, Brother preach. (laughs) You're not a resin racist. You know, I think that resin is like beautiful in all its different colors. And I think that it can be overripe at times and it can be underripe at times, but I don't necessarily think that the color is a way that you can judge it you know i think going back to you brought up the 710 guys uh i think it's brad who says something like you know skelly says the only way to know is you gotta smoke it you gotta you know proof is in the pudding kind of thing and and i mean that i think that's really what it comes down to i mean you also maybe don't want to be smoking things that you don't think are like proper (laughs) but uh, as long as you think that they're proper i think it's worth smoking everything and and making your own opinion about things, because I feel like a lot of times people kind of just go along with the general consensus or maybe uh, what's popular, a popular opinion at the time. Um, but yeah, I feel like you should make your own decision. But but yeah, I, I do like sun growing resin. Um, I think indoor resin can be obviously cleaner. You know, like when you're talking about melt and stuff, it can be a little cleaner, but there's people who do hoop house type stuff. That's incredibly high grade as well. And so, so yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, what are your thoughts on um, the future of dabbing? Is it going to be, you know, a widely adopted um, form of consumption much more than it is currently? And, and. In addition to that, do you believe that CBD, resin, hash, and rosin is going to become more prolific in mainstream markets? I don't know, uh, to be honest. I think that if I had to speculate, I would say dabbing, so maybe not specifically like torch and nail type thing, but I think that vaporization Things like Puffco, 
these types you of interviewed things. the index labs didn't you i saw yeah, that i didn't get to watch it but yeah, uh, i'd like to hear rj rj is a hundred percent about that so i'm glad he's not here but i know i'm actually gonna ask rj a bunch of stuff about glass so um that's kind of funny but yeah no i i did interview kylie from index labs it's a cool unit i was just talking to somebody who uh was using it for the first time yesterday and it's it's fantastic man i mean it's like basically the highest end type of vaping experience that you can have and you can really really break down the terpenes by their vaporization levels and really customize your quote-unquote dab or whatever and it's interesting because the vapor never necessarily gets hot and so sometimes like when i take a dab it gets me a little with the vapor like it's too hot you know um and so with this it, there's an added component that you don't really necessarily feel the hits as hard in your lungs i feel like and outside of that it's very efficient so like you use a little bit of oil and this thing can go a really long time with a flavorful hit and stuff so so yeah i, I think that it's gonna basically shift to to things like that because of the focus of like health right and so people are like eating in theory better or at least educating themselves a little better or in like this and that and the other so i feel like the same thing is going to happen with cannabis like people are likely going to move away from smoking especially younger generations as they grow they're probably going to be more like associated with the type of cannabis resin oil versus the flower at that point so i i do see it moving that way um and with solventless, I'm not really sure. I think that as rosin becomes more and more um, viable commercially, I think more and more people will be smoking it. I'm not saying necessarily that that will be high-grade rosin, but at the same time, there is the discussion of like, well, you know, again, nothing against solvent extracts, right? People should do whatever they want to do, but I feel like would you prefer someone smoking mediocre rosin versus hydrocarbons? You know, that's a discussion to be had as well. So. Which are they specialized, the highest hydrocarbon extraction. And, uh, you know, you, you touched on that with the 710 guys as well. Um, you know, or they've actually touched on that recently in some of their posts. Um, but do you think, cause Jameson and, and RJ and I have had these conversations of, making dabbing mainstream and i've always said that barrier to entry is coming in with a big fucking torch and and then also you know i enjoy glass part that's that's a huge thing for me but i think that may be a barrier to entry. do you think a smaller unit of say like the index lab so that it's less intimidating and less harsh would be because uh, Jameson talks about this all the time. He wants to have like a meal, not necessarily even, um, you know, a dosed meal, but in between each part of a meal to have a palate cleanser with a specific terpene profile, whether that's just a CBD one or one mixed with THC, you could have that option. Um, and I always said, there's no way a waiter's coming out with a big ass flame. Like I, I know they'll, you know, they'll come out with, when they're doing, you know, the cherries or a chip. But like, to then hit that, 
I don't think so. But the way you've talked about the index one makes me think if it was a smaller unit that that could possibly happen. They just what like, do you think? That's like not a dessert tray. Like, oh, sir, index lab, sir? And then it's like you choose your vial and it's all the different data. Oh, man, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, you know, and here's the the uh, the other truth about it is just being straight up is I think it's a it's a wonderful unit, but I think the other thing that makes it a little prohibitive to like a, just a normal person is the price, you know. And I mean, the reality is that it's made of like top notch material, so it's like high end. But I feel like, yeah, some maybe lesser expensive version of it would also probably help where like if you're willing to buy a $800 dab break right you might be willing to buy that versus having to invest like double in a unit right now kind of thing and so I think that as the technology gets better and including companies like Index they'll come up with I think kind of more affordable options and and it'll lead people to investigating that more. And like you said, it's more, it's more friendly because I mean, again, just being straight with you, part of what I didn't necessarily like about dabbing was just the idea of having to have this torch around. And it's more because I'm, uh, around my kids a lot kind of thing. Right. And so I don't want to even have these things like around necessarily because it's not, they're not like safe. Right. And so I think that that was one of the turnoffs for me and I've gotten used to it now, but it is nice to have an option where you don't have to have a torch. And then in regards to Jameson, I don't think I ever talked about the CBD. I don't know, to be honest with you. I think that as varieties get bred that wash well with a higher CBD content, and I think that there will be a market for it, man, because, you know, there's, here's another thing is like, you know, we all dab a bunch and, and this and that and the other, but I've talked about this is in reality, we're kind of guinea pigs. Like we don't know what's going to happen in 20 years where people were dabbing now, you know, kind of thing. And so it's one of those things where maybe super, super high THC strains can be a little countered by ones that are high CBD, high THC, or you can do a, a mix or something of that sort where um, you know, I know a lot of times people talk about kind of getting a little anxiety or some anxiety when dabbing. And I, even though I haven't really dabbed CBD much or at all, I smoked some actually recently. And that's another interesting thing is that it seems like the resin quality and the properties of the resin, like physically and probably chemically are different when there's these different ratios of cannabinoids. So when something is a high CBD strain, or at least has a decent amount of presence within a profile, it changes how that resin reacts. You know, these CBD strains, again, this is all like loose stuff that it's just from experience, but the guy from Nasha was saying, he feels like these high CBD strains are the ones that when they're pressed out to like quote unquote traditional pressed hash, they have more of a sheen to them and they keep more of an elasticity to them versus the ones that are high in THC. So it's almost like it counteracts the crystallization nature of the THCA or something along those lines. So even that, even those things are interesting where I don't know how that 
simple playoff, but I do see a role. I, I do see a place for it. I think there's a guy named Fox tracks who's, uh, who's hunting CBD varietals that, that do well with hash. But yeah, anybody that I've talked to who's worked with it is that they who said it's like just collecting it and working with it and manipulating the, the CBD resin is incredibly difficult. So who, uh, so somebody put this in the comments. I'm curious what you guys think about this. Somebody put all the kids growing up smoking concentrates have a total disconnect from the plant. What are your thoughts? Oh man, that's like, that's like a deep dive. Um, I started smoking flour and like had a relationship with flour and cultivation and, and subsequent relationship with extraction. And so I'm the kind of guy that like, if I hear that you gave your friend, you know, uh, a five-star flag of some beautiful hash as his first dab, I I'm kind of disappointed in you. Um, like, I believe that you need to level up and, you know, you need to smoke ditch weed or like at first you need to get ripped off and get like oregano in a bag or something. And then you need to get some ditch weed and then you need to learn to love the ditch weed. And then you need to get some, you know, something that's a little bit better. You know, people are evolving through and, and that's kind of how we all meet and connect is that we, we just love cannabis so much that we never accepted that this is good enough. So I think that a lot of people kind of fall off on that journey and that's totally okay. I mean, you know, less of their lot, they, they understood that they're going to allocate less of their lives towards cannabis and the cannabis they can currently access is acceptable for what they need it for. And that's fine. But I think the way we align with ourselves is we continue to climb that ladder and continue to look for the top. And so I think that, um, having an appreciation of lower end concentrates and flour so that you can ap truly appreciate higher end concentrates and flour is more or less a rite of passage. And so I think that in some ways, what that gentleman said could be correct in that, you know, kids pulling on vape pens, you know, who exclusively smoke vape pens and, and really don't understand where the culture came from, you know, yeah, they're very disconnected, but you know, that's their story. That's their culture. Um, you know, and if they want to look backwards or not is, is up to them. And, and, you know, us people that are connected to the plant, you know, look, are looked at a certain type of way and will continue to be looked at a certain type of way. Like, I don't think that that normalization will like, I don't think the stigma will ever break towards like bearded dudes who are like really close to the plant. I think that the culture will just break away and there'll be like this weed consuming vape pen technology, uh, type weed consuming culture that'll be separated from the guys cultivating the actual input materials. But yeah, I, that's, that's my comment is I think you gotta like, you gotta get, you gotta level up and appreciate every level and be a shatter king before you're a hash king. You know? Yeah. I just died on that depth. Um, a hundred percent. Like take it for me though. That was like the asphyxiation 
of getting the BHO dabs off of, you know, a 1200 pad. I don't know that everybody needs to. I don't know if it's, that's a good thing for everybody to go through. However, the BHO, we were not, um, but yeah, I think that, you know, you have to, you have to smoke flour at least like smoking a joint for the first time and pulling it in and having it like burn the back throat and like come out your nose as you cough is kind of like a come up that you have to have you eventually get to hatch but like if you're a true hatch connoisseur or true vaporization person i feel like you're going to seek out what the source is of the material that you can so my thought process is like if you smoke cigarettes and then you try a cigar and then you're like oh wow i want to occasionally have a cigar probably not going to get the cheapest cigar fine and then maybe you'll start researching like i don't know this that was just like my thought process of like better yeah, cigars yeah, and go ahead rj rj's always been an extractor never been a cultivator and i wouldn't say he doesn't know the plant so i think it's you know i think you just it's a it's on a case-by-case basis but i think that if i was if I was starting somebody out with dabs, I wouldn't give them my best dab first. I would give them a, a way like my worst dab. And that would probably be the best, that would be the best dab they'd ever had to date. And so I didn't deprive them. Like if somebody gave me a six star flag at, at the very beginning, I might not be here today. Cause I'd be like, well, that was it. And never gets better than that. And, uh, so I'm going to go home and, you know, do something else. So I think that the journey for us is like exploring and, and finding who this wasn't, you know, RJ just messaged me and said, he's grown two, two crops. So I need to correct that. But, uh, but my point is, is that he started out as an extractor and worked his way backwards to the plant. Thus he grew two crops. So well, what's that? Is that simply out of Um, yeah, I have a tiny, tiny little dab left of his, his Wakanda in there. Oh, wow. Um, now that's fire. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, well, it's funny how this is now turned around and you guys are like doing the answering. I like that actually. You just, you just, uh, I met, mark the time because the tables just turned. I, I, just, <laughs> I had to you told us that would happen eventually. Yeah, I had it for an hour and 48 minutes. I had it for an hour and 48 <laughs> That's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. I'm I'm pretty, uh, like you said, I'm I'm a little shifty about talking about myself because, I don't know, it's weird. But I like I said, I appreciate you guys having me on. So, um, But that was funny. That funny how that kind of worked out. Hold on. So I've got a question. How the legends of passion scene some craziness with glass, not just hatch. And a lot, now you've interviewed a couple of, we're one glass person and you know, I, I, you may do more in the future. I would, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd love to hear he's looking at, he's got the two varieties up right there from a friend of ours. Yeah. And this is a whole other thing that I wanted to ask you guys about is like, I, I was going to say, are you drawn in 
more to the glass side and are you more interested in it now that you've been exposed to it and kind of, you know, had someone give you a piece. So it's kind of broken that barrier. So now you're, you know, how interested you are in it. So are you more inclined now to go out and, re and research it and, and look at it? And adding to that question, do you look at it more as the function or more as the art right now? Um, so I definitely appreciate glass for the artistic element of it. I think that, um, making anything is cool, you know, creating anything is a cool thing. And so to see people work in that medium and see some of the things that they come up with, and again, not knowing really what goes into creating these things. I'm really kind of like amazed by how cool and beautiful these things are. I think that I've become more interested in the glass, I guess almost as like a, I don't know what the right word is, but like a sociological kind of thing where it, it kind of goes together hand in hand with the hash and, and the evolving of concentrates and kind of how they, we talked about earlier than kind of playing off each other. And it's interesting to me again, to relate like glass blowers to people that have been doing cannabis growing and processing, which, you know, they both came kind of from underground. And I feel like that's, for example, an industry that is, let's say 10 years ahead of cannabis in the sense of it went through that same phase and now it's to a point where people are like on Instagram selling their glass and that's just like a way of life. Right. And so I feel like cannabis is kind of coming out of the shadows. I think it'll be a lot messier, uh, like legally all the cannabis stuff. And I know you guys talked a lot about Canada the other night with me and, um, just how things have not necessarily gone the best way possible with legalization there. But I do equate that industry a little bit to cannabis to where I think that people think like glass is cool now and, and all these different things to where before maybe that wasn't the necessarily the light that it was seen. Um, but in like, personally, I just can't come to spend the amount of money that these pieces of art cost. Cause that's exactly what they are to me. It's like they're art and I value them. I just. Maybe if I someday were in a position where like, I just had a decent amount of resources that I could be like, oh, I'm just going to go buy this really nice thing that I really, really like, but I would have to, it'd have to be something really specific. And, um, I wouldn't just go grab like any nice piece. And so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. No, a hundred percent. I mean, there's, there's less opportunity now to, you know, we talk or myself, myself. I've known RJ for almost 20 years and for at least 10 or 12 years, he's been telling me to buy glass and he's been involved in like the high end stuff. Um, and I, I was always like, yeah, same exactly as you were saying. I was like, yeah, you know, I don't really have the money to spend on that. I've got other priorities. I can appreciate it. I think it's awesome, but you know, maybe one day and he was just always about collecting and now seeing what's happened about, you know, over the past five years, really things have kind of gone up exponentially. 
go. So pieces that he's acquired five, six, $700 have gone up, you know, 15 to 50 times, you know, in value. And, um, I don't think there's that many opportunities for that anymore, just because the come up the same thing in the glass, you're not really seeing people struggle for years and years you are, but you're seeing if somebody becomes popular, they tend to become popular within of starting to blow glass because they've got this new style or new way or something. And, you know, not to say that's for everybody. Other people finally have a breakthrough down the line, or some people have a little bit of hype and then fall off, but you know, everything moves faster. Now it's the same thing as like learning how to make cash or learning how to grow. You don't go through 10 different groves or 10 different, you know, washes, uh, realizing, oh, fuck this backwards. I put the bags in completely opposite of, of what I was supposed to do. Or I, I, you know, but you with the questions. like, I don't mean to cut you off, but this is an interesting point to me because it comes up like in the hash world. I think it comes up like in any world, right? And, and like, let's take the glass blowing for, and maybe I'm misinterpreting what you're saying, but do you, do you guys feel like it's any less valid? For somebody who's like 18 now and they just go and they happen to be all these hash courses or these glass blowing courses. And now they have like all this insight that maybe other guys, it took them 20 years to that, to gather that experience. And now this, you know, 18 year old or whatever has this accelerated ramp of growth, you could call it maybe, but they might not have that struggle that some of the artists did prior to them. So like, I feel like sometimes people who have been doing things for a long time don't necessarily see that as a positive. It's almost like a holding of the guards of like, well, like we did it better or like we went through the, we got yeah. where we are. So like, is it lady less valid? What's that saying? Like hard times breed hard men, hard men bring good times, good time breeds weak men, weak men bring bad times. I don't, but, know. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I was going to say is no, because I, I, you know, to that end, I, I can, with what you're saying, people learn it faster. And if you're going to become good at it, you can become good at it very quickly. That's what I was saying. And I don't think it's any less valuable. I think what the most important thing is the attitude that comes with it. Whether you're an old guy that it's taking you 20 years or you're an 18, 20, 25 year old guy that's, literally, you know, a savant in it. I think the most important thing is coming in as a student and coming in as, you know, wanting to share and wanting to learn, whether it comes to glass blowing, whether it comes to ash making, whether it comes to growing, whether it comes to friendships, whether it comes, you know, anything like that. I think that's the most important thing. Um, I think all of us here come, come with that and that's the kind of vibe. That's why it's like so natural, but not everybody is like that. And I think for some of the older guys that have maybe created some of the process that these guys have learned and they don't give them the respect or at least acknowledgement that, yeah, they learned it quickly, but they learned it because the process was created by these guys struggling to go through it. And some of them literally imprisoned and having their lives ruined by it. And that's where I think some of the aggression will come in from old versus new. It's not that the old guys 
don't like the new guys. I think that's exciting to have new guys come on and be that good that quickly because it can push whatever level, whatever you're doing, whether it's glass or whether it's ash. Um, but the attitude I think is, is the issue. And, and if old guys can't acknowledge that these young guys are really good at what they do because of what these previous guys have learned, not everybody appreciates history though. And that's the hard thing for some of the younger people. I think as you get older, you appreciate history more because either gone through it or learned about it from, you know, just reading about it. So yeah, my point is old or new doesn't matter. If you have the right attitude, that's the most important. It, I think it's exponential growth. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, if you, if, if you can absorb all that, take it and go, I mean, if they want to give it out, they're giving it out. If they're running a the course, they're running a the course. It's kind of like seeds. It's like, you know, if you sell your seeds and then you get butthurt about what somebody does with them, I mean, you maybe shouldn't sell seeds. Um, so, you know, that's kind of like, that's kind of how I look at it. Like, if you don't want to share knowledge, don't fucking care. Yeah, but that's, I, I think. The point to that is, oh, you really want to die with that? No, you don't want to. No, well, I, I don't agree. I don't agree at all with that attitude. I'm very much. Well, okay, I thought you were just like. Well, okay, no, no, no. I'm very much like a, sh a share. Let's share knowledge and all win together, person. But, uh, but like, so yeah, I think the question was, you know, about having these individual, these 18 year old kids having access to these courses. Like, I mean, I want to take all these courses. I, I. If I didn't, if I wasn't at the, um, the lift conference in Canada, I would have taken that online bird course in a, in a heartbeat and I'll take the next online one and maybe I'll go out and see them. Like, I love, I love that stuff. Or come out and see us. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so like, but to me, the answer is, is like, if you're going to set up a course and share the knowledge, you can't be, you're probably going to be stoked when that 18 to 21 year old kid um, starts doing some cool stuff. And I think that that's part of our community. And that's like one of the golden parts of our community is like, man, when I, when I started in this, like when I came in and I was like, I'm going to be in the legal cannabis industry in the spotlight is pre-legalization in Canada. And like the amount of like legacy people who just like came to me, pulled me aside and like said, like, listen, dude, like, and just poured knowledge into me. Like, poured it into me it was like, Hey man, like, I don't think I'm going to see you on the other side of this thing. Like I'm probably going to pop out to Costa Rica now, but like, let me just, let me just chop it up with you for a minute and, and give you all this and take it and run with it. Like the amount of free sharing of information in, in the community was so vast and I'm so grateful to all those people. Um, and so like, I, I'm, I very much am big on sharing information too, but to your point, it, it, yeah, if the courses are available. And you're getting upset because guys are taking three courses and then blowing past you and they're, you know, 10 years younger than you, you know, maybe, maybe don't do the course, but I don't see anything wrong with that. I agree, man. And I mean, to be honest, it's like, we're all in part kind of a product of our time and place, you know, I mean, you can't, somebody comes along when they come along kind of thing. And so. I, I do agree, uh, with BP's point about like your attitude or, you know, or maybe kind of how you 
almost like present yourself. I think it's important to definitely like pay respect to the past. You, you know? gotta humble yourself, man. Like you can't, you like, you know, if you come in and you're sitting at a table with a bunch of guys that you've been listening to on podcasts or something, it's good to just be quiet and listen. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I've gotten way farther being quiet in rooms that I have talking and, and it took many years for me to find my voice in this industry and, and feel like, you know, I've, I've seen done and talked to enough people that, yeah, I have my own opinions and I can come on it and, and communicate them clearly. So I think that, you know, the cheesiest of cheesy lines, like we are standing on the shoulders of giants. Like, I, I, I mean, it, I have so much respect for the people that have come before us. I have so much respect for the people that are on your show. And just to be able to, you know, stand shoulder to shoulder with them in an industry is something that I, you know, pride myself on. And it's a huge part of my identity. And so, um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm super grateful. Like I'm probably one of those people that, you know, has been able to travel around and leverage opportunities and, and, and grow my network and totally accelerate my learning just through meeting, meeting people, taking courses, going to conferences and, and, and just being present in the moment and smoking a ton of weed outside, like not really participating in too much of the, of the conference, like speech part. I learned pretty much pretty, pretty early on that most of the people on stage don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And you really want to, you really want to be with the guys standing out front of the conference. Well, the smartest guys don't even have tickets to the conference. If you look at the guy with the big circle around them in front of a conference without the bracelet on, that's the smartest guy. You want to be that guy's friend. <laughs> yeah, man. I, like I said, I, those types of, I mean, not that I don't att attend events or like events or whatever, but, um, I, I think direct experience is, is a great teacher, man. And if you can, uh, do things on your own and, and like I said earlier, kind of make your own conclusions from, from your own experience, um, that's more valuable than, than mostly anything I feel like. So when does this class launch or has it launched? And I don't, I don't. No, no. So we only have done one, uh, again, coffee and donuts with Adam, uh, was this thing that we started as a joke. It's like, uh, something kind of like this where we hang out digitally and just bullshit around, to be honest. Sometimes we have people on, I think it would be great actually to have you guys on. It would be funny to have, uh, all three of you on and see what you guys are working on. But yeah, so, and, and from that, we just had more of an outlandish idea. We saw a bunch of people doing classes. And I've been to a few, like I said, and I was like, I, I think Adam, we have become really good friends over like the last couple of years and we have a good kind of rapport. And outside of that, I think he's super knowledgeable. He thinks about hash in a very interesting way. And I think he really, really is like a craftsman, you know? And so I think he's a really cool person to learn from. And so we thought it would be cool if we could make a, make it into a reality to like take this on the road. And so I feel like what's a little different is we're, we built kind of this small platform, um, which has this funny name, right? This coffee, he, he's like addicted to coffee and donuts, which is the brand of his hash. And so it has this very wholesome name to it, you know, coffee and donuts with Adam, uh, but it's totally about hash. So it, the next one we planned it's going to be in february uh on the 11th and 12th in tulsa oklahoma which isn't too far from me so yeah it'll be cool man we have some special guests and stuff coming out to do some of the teaching and 
should be a good time. The first one was a blast. We have some people coming back, which I'm like super grateful for, but also kind of super surprised. So, uh, it sounds like hopefully we did something decent on the, on the first one that people are coming back. So, so yeah, like I said, hopefully it'll be a good time. And, and like the podcast where it's like entertaining, educational, and also a good place to like vibe with people that you might not meet anywhere else. And I think that was one of the really cool aspects is that it felt like a very, uh, communal or community-based thing. It wasn't, there was no, everybody was gelling with everybody. Uh, people say that like, literally this is like some of like, they're like some of the best sessions we've ever attended, like in other places, it's kind of how it felt like outside of the class thing. So I thought that it was really cool that people were able to connect like that. And, um, just to also be familiar with a lot of these people from online and then meeting them in person and then getting to hang out with Adam and Mission Hill Melts and it was cool, man. It was fun. And so it, it's cool in the sense that anywhere we go, we hope to bring in new guests depending on the state that we're in and, um, just kind of keep it rolling, man. So what, what are some of the standout passion rosins that you've smoked in the last little while you were at legends, you know, I'm sure well, what's the winner for 2021 for, in your opinion, that you smoke, what's your 2021 Ooh. string and on the spot. That's tough, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, I've, I've been super fortunate. I've smoked a lot of different stuff from a lot of different people. Um, so one strain that stands out, I mean, I, it's funny to me because on the show, I like, these are the hardest questions and now I see why, but man, so I'm going to do the same thing people do on the podcast and and answer with multiples because I can't, I can't just pick one, but, uh, the, the OG ghost train haze from mother rock botanicals and pressing for sure. Whose cut I think was kind of saved by Kaya from PNW. That is pretty amazing by itself. They also did a currently a watch that was like that in their papaya. And so it was mostly OG ghost train haze. So. I'm kind of biased towards that strain. That's definitely up there. Um, there's this really interesting strain grown by the real cannabis, Chris, uh, Udo Papaya, which is a tester from Harry Palms. And it's the, oh, am I going to forget now? So it's papaya across to, I think maybe the Malibu Cure Kush. And it doesn't taste anything like papaya. Again, it's one of those strains that I said earlier, where it's like really unique in the sense that it's not loud or anything. It's like this sweet tamarind perfume. And then it really has this interesting note that comes out right at the end on the exhale. And so that's not super common in hash. So again, it's one of those like kind of unique traits. And then the last one I'll mention that really kind of stood out was, uh, this Wakanda haze, which goes by a bunch of names, but it's literally what I just was dabbing. Uh, I also smoked some of this rosin when we did that class in, um, in Maine. And it's funny, man, cause I, I try again, just try to be honest about my experiences. The hash is really good, but I felt like the rosin was like, it was even better in rosin form. Um, so that Wakanda haze was really, really good. And then like I mentioned those other two. So I, yeah, I'm just thankful and fortunate to, to even have so many different ones to <laughs> to pick from. So. 
Are you a fresh press or a cold cured? It doesn't matter to me. I think, uh, again, I'm because I don't come from any kind of particular school of thought, I'm willing to try it and see it all. I think that it's important, um, to try it and see it all, man, and see what you like. So I think they both have their things to them and really what it comes down to is part of what everybody talks about on the show in different references. It comes down to the genetics, you know, some of the genetics just do better in certain ways. Another, like, for example, I just smoked on, this is another really standout strain, uh, by Yeti melts who's kind of a smaller guy right now, but he was running the string, the frozen Margie and, uh, it was fresh press and Amarado, right? That's a Canarado string. I, I actually, I'm not sure to be honest with you, um, but the fresh press had this very, very like aromatic sense to it. And like, it had this like kind of like old school, almost like Kush mixed in with like this menthol, but that's not very common off fresh presses. Like I don't see a lot of fresh press because of my situation, but when I do typically it locks in those terps, right? And so when you hit it, sometimes it's like a blast of terps because they're locked in there. But in some of them, when you do dial them in that form, they don't seem to really be that effective. But then if you let them quote unquote cure or change, and then you whip that up or whatever, then it seems to like come out more. So it really comes down to the strain and your preference, you know, but, uh, overall, if I had to say I'm more of a melt guy though. Because even though it's more of like, quote unquote, a hassle to clean up even some really nice melt, you still got a Q-tip and whatever, which is wasteful. That's the one part I don't really like. But I do feel like the effects are more up my alley. But I do smoke a lot of rosin and I like rosin. So it's nothing against it. It's just if I had to pick, typically I would pick some really good melt. Everybody here would. In the morning? Would you smoke melt or would you smoke rosin? First out, I think. It, whatever, man. I'm I'm down for whatever. Yeah, I think anybody, if they had the option, that's why you can't ask. And that's why I think you... I don't know, man. It's interesting. We have like, a little chat, like it's the Discord chat. And so it's really interesting because uh, there's a lot of people. And I don't know, Jim, Jameson, are you part of that? Because you're part of the Patreon. So pretty much... But, I am part of it. I've like joined, but I haven't like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm and, on, and I'm on Twitter, but I don't really tweet. You know. Yeah, yeah, same. I but the Discord is something that just I I started because I thought it would be fun, and it was kind of a little bit of a slow start, but it's like really gained some traction. Shout out to all the to the Discord, you know, uh, people. And but what's interesting is just to see what people think on in so many different parts of the country. And people who've come into these things at different times. Some people are just consumers. Some people are makers. And some people have very different opinions, but are really good. They, some people are not down with milk. Some people are not down with rosin. Some people like are like, it's really good, but this one is better for this reason. So it's pretty interesting almost to like see the, those interactions. So sorry to cut you off, BP, but. No, 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 that's perfect. I was, I was just going to say, um, I, the reason I, I was going to assume that all of us will choose it is because, yeah, it's a bitch. It's a bitch to try and get nice melt that hasn't already melted down when you're getting it and actually preserve the terps. 
So yeah, no, that's why I was going to say that. The second part was your comment about judging. So if you're going to judge, hatch, water, hat, broad, you kind of have to have separate categories because exactly as you said, you may have someone that has a preference just for water hack. Well, then they really can't judging the rosin because they're always going to read and vice versa. But there may be someone that, okay, if it's both in front of me, it doesn't really matter. You look at it. So yeah, no, that, that was my, that was my point. But the other thing is there's those weird factors where like, for example, uh, this is something that I talk about a, a decent amount. I never used to, but now it's become kind of a topic of conversation is because I'm, I don't come again from like a certain way of doing things. Uh, like I cold start everything, including milk, which a lot of times people think is, they're just like, well, I, like, oh, rosin. Yeah, we get that. But like cold start milk. And I, you know, it's really just coming down to getting to know your tools and, and being able to kind of use them properly. But I bring this up because even something like that can influence, for example, in the judging, right? So like if you cold start all the time and you, and I fuck up a melt, which I do sometimes, right? But it's also interesting because you also get all these different notes within these ranges sometimes. So if you do a really, really low temp dab and then you do kind of a higher one, you, you get very different notes within that same profile. And so my point is if you do a hard dab and it's melt and you get a little of that burnt kind of taste to it that's going to affect how you perceive that experience versus taking a hotter dab of rosin which it's not going to really affect it as much or maybe at all right and so it's still going to be flavorful and that those things are going to stick out in your mind where like oh that was really flavorful and then this one yeah it's melt and i fucked it up but it's still going to like stick with you that it didn't have the greatest taste unless you do it again kind of thing. So I think that that's where it's a challenge to have items that are different products being pinned up against each other. We need to get you um, a Dabrite or a Tempec. Dude, I shout out to Dabrite. We actually got sponsored by them for that first class. So I, it's crazy. I have four Dabrites. Uh, that we use for these classes ongoing so people can use them. And then the other day at Legends, they gave me one for free called like the Octane or something. It's something. Yeah, Octane, yeah. Yeah, and I have it literally in the box. So I, it's not for a lack of having them, man. I mean, I'm, I'm super thankful to have them, but I, I think that I just got used to it and I like it. I was worried it was a barrier for <laughs> Because they're not, they're not cheap, right? Like, no, no, they're not. There's so that's what I was going to say. I'm sure we can, I'm sure we can figure out to hook you up with one if you didn't have one, but no, you've got, you've got like the store hitting the over there. <laughs> no, like I said, man, it's been, it's been a trip and it's definitely, uh, working on the project has, has allowed for some pretty cool things that would have not happened otherwise. So. Have you used, um, the round bottom bangers? Cause I've heard a lot of people that eat the cold starts prefer a round bottom banger. So I haven't been, uh, I've, I've actually, again, it's one of those things where I've been kind of reliant on people's generosity and this guy, Joe Itza, who was the one who hooked me up with my rig, I pretty much like just kind of reach out to him and he'll send me like a new nail. And I don't know if he makes the round ones to be honest, but I have heard that, uh, people have talked about it in the chat that the, the, the round ones typically 
do better. I think the logic in part is that, especially if you're doing melt, there's no edges for that melt or those cuticles, even the, those minuscule kind of micro particles to get stuck in those little wedges, right? So it's like a round bottom where you can just clean up. So I definitely would be down to try it, but I haven't yet, man. Yeah, then there, then there's then there's the favorite of Jameson uh, and RJ of the blenders, and then my favorite, which is the Turkslayer verse. So that's why you got to have the dabrate, and you know that's just get, like getting punched in the face with with Terps because you can get it at that four eighty four ninety, and even with melt, get it beautiful, just like spinning around. I mean, to me, that's like you know art form and function all coming together at the same time as it's just uh yeah and then when you get the flavor blast it'll be the next level for you i'm sure you've tried it but yeah i agree man yeah i uh so i have tried the slurpers with various people and uh i was in northern california not long ago man maybe like a couple months ago at most uh doing some some video work or whatever and getting a few interviews and so i was hanging out a decent amount with people and I hung out with Adam and he was actually looking forward to getting me super ripped with his little, um, what'd you call it? Slurper. I think I'm pretty sure that's the right one. And, uh, it was funny because a lot of people, it's funny that you bring up the melt because a lot of people were like, people don't hit melt off those, you know, but if the melt's good enough, then you can for sure. And it looks straight up almost like rosin, right? Like this very, very minimal. And so they, you know, Adam puts out a great product. And so basically his stuff is an ideal candidate to go through that. So he, he served it up in this little, the rig was literally this big, dude. Right. And then the slurper is like this big. It was a micro. It's bigger than the rig. And I'm like, and I, and I just like ripped this thing and man, yeah, I got super high. And like, as soon as I hit, anytime I hit those slurpers, they make me just like cry. I like tear up. And I'm like, but so like, for sure it hits you harder, but the thing for me, maybe I'm getting a little too old or something, but it tightens up my lungs too much, bro. You know, like I can't take another hit for a while because I, I get like super wheezy and stuff. So, uh, they definitely do smack, but I got to take it easy when I hit them. Five <laughs> degrees difference though, on, on a slurper dad literally is the difference between a feeling of like explosion of terps and having the, your lungs trying to be ripped out of your body so yeah no i feel you there a lot of people like jameson love to have the feeling lungs ripped out of your body and so that's why he likes to hit fat globs and out of terp slurpers or uh or blenders and, and likes to hit them hot so that he can just basically you know die and roll over and then when he wakes up, I mean, dude, it'll get you for sure. Like, I mean, you're feeling it. And, and I mean, it's, it's definitely more efficient. Like, I feel like when you get stuff hotter, like if you're trying to get stoned, like it, it does the trick for sure. But, uh, yeah, man, like I said, I think maybe in part it's, it's kind of my age too, to some degree or something, but my lungs are feeling a little getting too old for, for the big hits like that. So like, I will take them. Uh, but it's almost more like a special occasion. No, I feel you there. I can't take bong hits anymore. Back in the day, pre-dabs, I used to. I was showing Jameson way back in the day, taking like 50 or 60 rips within an hour. And uh, like being on another level. And like, 
Yeah, there's no way I could even take the problem. Like, die. So, definitely, there's, you know, the evolution of it. But, yeah, seriously, the difference. And that's why I, I can understand for someone that's just getting into it, doing cold starts. But, like, you know, knowing uh, the exact temperature and everybody are, what is the exact things will give you a different temperature on it, even if you have them on the same nail. But, um, yeah, five degrees, 10 degrees difference on, on some of these nails is like, doesn't, there's no pain. It's perfect. If you want to go back and more and, you know, melt perfectly and, you know, you can wipe it off easily because exactly as you said, you know, beautiful melts, having a flag and ripping it in as you're like spinning it around and it goes up. And then like you do a half hit, wait for a second and having it all melt down into a pool, pulling it up there's something to be said about that and it's like wow that is beautiful beautiful action yeah i agree man you definitely really really see the the transparency or the quality and i think that was kind of one of the things that like i picked up and i was getting prepared to do this tiny little talk about that event we did in maine and it really comes down to the fact that like if you look historically at assigning quality to resin it comes down to a few things. And one of those things, the main thing is cleanliness or like how separated are you able to get those trichomes from any kind of quote unquote contamination. So when you see trichomes melt like that on a, such a high tech kind of piece, you know, and it's going through all these different, you know, cause it's cool. It's, it's interesting also where like all these little, little different pieces that you have in there affect how the heat is held, how the heat is transmitted, how it holds heat going up through the banger, uh, or through the slipper, I guess better said. And so anyways, my point is it, it, you really, really get to see how next level, uh, something that's quote unquote, like a six star is, you know, because it's such a hard thing to attain. Um, and I think it's the thing that a lot of people look to attain, even though I feel like rosin has definitely change that but it is cool to see for sure that's where it you know having it with rosin you almost always get that even with the full melts you know or not full melt uh we even almost with a full spec that's properly done but yeah seeing that absolute perfect heads on that are squished to a flag something and then even still in a clean perfect banger same thing you know to see it like wish around those up close videos that some of these guys do you know like abracadabra or uh or cali dabs you, you know these guys are experts in what they do the photography on this and the video is something else and it really speaks to the quality of the product and the quality of the grow and the cleanliness of everything start to finish and um it's rather impressive. I never thought that we get to a level like that. If you think back to like the dirty joints, smoke like this gross resin on your lips and have, yeah, I see, I see your face. Uh, you know, it's just, it's crazy that we've come to a level of pure heads that are just clean and, you know, maybe amber, just gorgeous. I, 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 I'm, and then you pick out terpenes from that. Like, it's just, that's, that's absolute next level. And it's so exciting that 
you know, it's available. I wish one day very soon that it will be available in Canada. Uh, we don't yet have that on the legal market, you know, depending on where you are, you can get that from some of your local friends on the market. Um, if you know the right people, which is you know, a good way to get around, be friendly. And yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, likewise here, right. Uh, maybe there are some more options in the recreational markets, but it really has to do with where you are. You know, for example, uh, my good friend, Luke, who again, he's not like in the cannabis industry or anything. He's just an avid smoker. He took a, he lives, uh, in like the San Francisco area. He took a trip to Bend, Oregon recently, went into a dispensary there. Again, I don't know what dispensary, where it was kind of thing, but he's like, Hey, do you have any hash that I can buy? And they're like, no, we don't carry hash. She's like, nobody like wants to pay the money that hash costs. So like, we don't carry it basically kind of thing. And so, you know, it goes to show you, I think that it just depends where you are. And also a lot of it, I feel has to do with, um, awareness of what you're consuming. I, I don't know that a lot of people really know what they're consuming. You know, they're just kind of relying on, on people to advise them at a dispensary, whether that's a butt tender or whatever. And then a lot of times you see, and this is not a general statement. There are probably a lot of people who do know what they're talking about, but you do see a lot of times that people who work kind of the ground level, like the butt tenders, they themselves are super uninformed, you know? So it's kind of like the blind leading the blind to some degree. Um, and that's tough. So. I would say that the more people become aware of what they're consuming and what goes behind it, going to your point, what you were saying earlier about how people, you know, when we were talking about like, what was I going with that? It's like, I kind of know, but I kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> You're allowed to, everybody's allowed to lose their child once. All right. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to scrap that one. Cause I don't, I don't remember, but it probably wasn't important anyways. <laughs> I think, I think the evolution has been interesting. I don't think that we're anywhere close to seeing melt on the market in Canada. Um, you know, you need to prime a market for that. And the consumers of melt are so far removed from the recreational cannabis market in Canada that, uh, you know, it's just not a low hanging fruit. That's like a big juicy fruit, but it's hanging at the top of the tree and you got, you got to pass up a lot of low hanging fruit to get to them. And it's just not worth it right now. And I think that's similar in many markets. I mean, you know, I know from listening to your podcast, 710 labs is able to have fridges in the stores that distribute their, their, their products. So, you know, that's something that like by law, we're not allowed to do in Canada. So if I was like, I'm going to start solving this company, we're going to sell melt and I'm going to cold chain it to the store on my dime. And I'm going to pay for a fridge in every store in Canada. I legally can't do that. So it's not like a money thing. It's a legally thing. So there's, there's Here's a question. Do you see, uh, melt in the in the traditional market you gotta be like you gotta know some you gotta you gotta either yeah you gotta know somebody but you... so basically like i mean this is just a big assumption but i'm assuming it's a lot easier to find rosin 
than it is to find milk. Yeah, but there's like artists up here in Canada that are getting known for like some, you know, some just artistry, some guys who specialize in air dried stuff and, and just. Yeah, shout out to Ben Gypsy. Yeah, that's just exactly That's exactly Fre- Fre- Frenchy Cannoli just posted his his melts, which was yeah. kind of amazing. Those it's are those are air dry and beautiful, unbelievable things, man. Unbelievable things. Shout out. So, uh, yeah, I think that there's it's available on the legacy market. You're gonna pay for it, um, but there's a market. There's, yeah, there's, you always pay for quality. I mean, yeah. to be honest, and then, but then I also think. That there's always a market for quality as well and i think that uh you know going back to what you were talking about earlier about always like looking for the best i think that's always kind of been a thing for me even though i was in a very remote bad market kind of thing but i was fortunate enough to be able to travel to a few places and and see things and like try things and and kind of really see like well what's out there like what's possible or how how good can this get kind of thing and i think that when you're really really uh passionate about cannabis and consuming it and just kind of geek out on it then i feel like something like hash which again we haven't really even dived into like the discussion of like what that is at this point but it's just uh I should not make these side comments. The side comments are like fucking backtrack me, but <laughs> somebody, somebody put me back on track. Evolution of the consumer. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say is, I, cause <laughs> I gotta, I gotta go for dinner. All right, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta go. I was going to say, where can we see you next? And would you come back on? Maybe you don't have to come back on for the whole time, but as we bring other people on, we want to come and chill and, and talk with them. Yeah, we're, we're, I mean, we're mainly Canadian, but you know, we love having you on this. I think our first U.S. No, Kyle, call him. Oh, okay, okay, call him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I. We got lots more to talk about. Kind of touched on some of those, just as you said. You know, what is hash then, and then what defines? Do you go by a star system? Do you go by something else? Right? So there's a, there's a lot there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, for sure, man. I'm, I'm definitely like, I'm down. I, uh, I had fun. I was a little apprehensive, you know, because, um, kind of like what Jameson alluded to. I'm, I, I'm pretty private. I'm, I'm just like a private person in general. And I don't, I don't really like, like out there about myself, but at the same time, uh, I've had a few people reach out and be like, Oh, it'd be cool to like, hear something about you. And then, um, you know, you guys are cool and this is a pretty cool, chill environment. So I appreciate you having me on and yeah, man, I'd, I'd be down in the future. And I mean, yeah, it'd be cool to maybe bring in other panelists to talk about Ash or like what it is or what it isn't kind of thing as well. So, so yeah, man. Um, and, and then hopefully, uh, God, I forgot his name already. I feel bad. RJ. Yeah. Hopefully RJ will be back and we can pick his brain about glass a little. Absolutely. And remind the people where they find you in case they, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but again, you're a legend. So it's, <laughs> let's pump you a little bit before you go. Uh, yeah. So they can follow, uh, the Instagram account is really all we have right now. Uh, let me kill that real quick. And, uh, 
It's at the Hashishin, at the Hashish, I-N-N, that's all together. And then um, it'll be not too long from now that hopefully we'll have the Hashishin.com up and that's exciting that that's kind of i feel like a little bit of a next step and uh, there, there'll be some cool things in store there as well so it's not just like a site you go listen to it but hopefully a site where we can uh, also stimulate some good conversation um, there as well and then outside of that yeah the podcast dropped once a month and you know and check out patreon if you, if yeah, you, yeah i mean if you listen to all the episodes <laughs> I just I just pop that into the chat for everybody to see as well. Thank um, you. Please click and, and jump in there. Thanks, Joel. And there's a cool. I'm the secret ninja in the background that nobody sees. I, I, I have a secret ninja. I feel like I need Oh, you need a London. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, this is a it it definitely is a one man minion. Sometimes it feels like a lot, but it would be so nice and sweet to have like someone in the background just <laughs> just coordinate. Exactly. What'd you say? I just wanted to know. I was asking London if there are any questions from the chat that he had nagged at all. You know what? Like guys, there was nothing but compliments. Everybody just kind of dug down and listened and enjoyed. There wasn't a lot of like. I didn't. I didn't see any good questions, man. I I, I was enjoying it as well half the time. Uh, well, the entire time in the in the background, it was really good. I just got a few compliments that come over. Gore happy. Yeah, totally. I was trying to look through these comments too, and there were there were some that was like I didn't. It almost felt like they weren't even watching. They were just like talking about something else. <laughs> they, 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 it's, funny. <laughs> it's the Future Cannabis Project chat. Always goes a few directions. Yeah, I like it, man. I like. Uh, oh, I just wanted to chat. Yeah, I mean, let, let's let Shogar bro, because I'm sure he's got to. Uh, yeah, I gotta give back. Care of care. I gotta do this. Hey, oh, right. Let's well, do this. Let's do this because somebody said this in the chat earlier. If you guys are done, I know you got to go to dinner, but how about a bong rip? So you know, we'll, we'll commemorate bong rips. Let's do it. They're not bots. How about we all take a dab together before? Wait, you can't say no. We're muted so you don't hear flames. <laughs> no, no muting. Now we don't need it. The fall will all burn. Because <laughs> the problem is, like, I'll be done as soon as you guys are done heating up. Yeah, then we'll all get it. Ah, you guys are like. <laughs> I don't know. I'm already at like 400. I'm ready. <laughs> Um, let me top it up a little bit okay. I got, if i've got time i'm gonna throw in some more uh dry fit you got time i got time. want to get bastards here <laughs> all right oh that was a spot really funny and interesting like i'm not like a huge orange hey this mandarin that they grow out there so nice dude it's like it's it is orange but it's kind of like a like a bitter orange it's not it's jameson not. would you take a dab of it i think it's says it's interesting but like i've had enough orange you know like it's good it's good orange jameson you know you know when you drink too much of that one alcohol you put a lot and you're like i for me it's coconut rub i can't i could never drink another <laughs> coconut rum all gay. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I'm kind of like that with like mimosa type terps. No, no, no. This is not. This is not like that. Like the mimosa ones that I've had, I know I haven't had a lot, but they they do have like this weird, almost like champagne like quality to them. Um, which I don't know how that works, but this is different. Okay, <laughs> so we ever link up Jameson and. Yeah, well, well, it happens to be well, absolutely. <laughs> You're going to Ego Clash this year. Yeah, man. I uh, just in a few days, actually. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna head out to Cali, and I'm gonna just be in and out. But that event is, like I said earlier, it was super cool the first time, and um, I'm looking forward to it, man. Again, it's a real trip to. <laughs> I will be there one year. There will be a year I will be. I hope so, man. Yeah. Hopefully we can convene there one day. All right, guys. We're going to roll out of here, man. It was a blast. Thank you so much, man. It was great having you.